This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the evening by lighting up. Oi. From my friends, the star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi. This Oi. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. My friends. 77 WABC. Folks in the tri-state area this morning are certainly getting on their feet. And some are resuming the exodus that continues to take place, primarily to Florida, but also to Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. As Florida has been designated the go-to state for the first time in 65 years, more people are going to Florida from all different parts of the United States than ever before. And simply because you have a good quality of life, you have a governor who cares, it's DeSantis land, it's freedom land, and so the exodus continues. And in our area, the tri-state area, people continue to pack their bags and leave Connecticut and Pennsylvania, and especially New Jersey and New York. And it is interesting because there was a love fest up in Albany yesterday. I call it a, um, actually it was a orgy of self-congratulations by Democrats who were being inaugurated into office. Obviously, you had the controller, Tom DiNapoli, who's answerable to nobody. Why they don't change that, I don't know. There's no board of directors. Whereas every other controller across America... And every city across America has to report, as uh, businesses do, uh, to a board of directors. But the state controller in New York has never had to do that. And even though we've had one that went to jail, Alan Hevesy, we've uh, opted to take a position that, oh, no, no, we can trust the controller. In this case, Tom DiNapoli and any future controllers. Wrong. So he got sworn in. Then we had the uh, lady in red, well, Tish James, who loves to sue anybody named Trump. And she got up there, and she made a speech in which uh, I could have heard her saying, the reason I didn't debate Michael Henry, my Republican conservative foe, is he was a MAGA guy who uh, disparaged me. Well, <laughs> Lady in Red, last Lady in Red I remember was going with John Dillinger to the movies, who ratted out Dillinger, and the next thing you know, he came outside and they shot him full of lead. And then, of course, there was um, the uh, governor of the state of New York from Erie County, where she claims that she can see the province of Ontario out of her uh, kitchen table area. 
It was Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. And, oh, she so promised. She said, oh, look, uh, I'm going to bring public safety to New York, and I am going to bring housing to New York. Not, not, not. But what she did bring uh, to the forefront, where both Assembly and State Senators uh, were applauding like seals, and she delivered on the uh, pay increase that neither the Democrats or Republicans deserved, from 110000 to 142000 a $32,000 pay increase. But it harkened me back to a time, and in fact, the mayor was sitting there yesterday when Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb was sworn in, when Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan, with a new moniker, by the way, Eric Adams, uh, out-of-town Adams, was actually sworn into office like all of his colleagues that he saw yesterday. He was brand new, state senator, 2006. And you get a chance when you're sworn in in the state senate to give an opening speech to your colleagues. And uh, I just want to give you a little snippet of what uh, Eric Adams was telling all of his uh, colleagues preparing to be wine-dined in pocket line by the many lobbyists who who embed themselves in Albany. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. A lot of people ask me, uh, Curtis, where did you get that cut? It wasn't in the campaign. It wasn't when he was Brooklyn Borough president or even as mayor of the city of New York. It's, oh, it was said on his very first day in the state Senate. And by the way, uh, Diego, do me a favor. Could you play that again? Because... You better believe in the minds of those elected officials yesterday who were applauding like seals the fact that Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb had given them a pay increase. They basically were saying in their own heads exactly what Eric Adams said as a brand-new state senator back in 2006, that they're entitled, that they, they, they sacrificed so much, they could be doing so much better in the private sector, but look, look all that they do for us. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. <laughs> and then, of course, Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, lady in white, was trying to act like, hey, I want people to improve, not to move. I want the Empire State to maintain that status, even though we've had the largest exodus of population in the last two years of any state in the nation. In fact, number one, and it's California that's number two. But how can you convince people to stay when there's been a steady drumbeat from Democrats at all different elected levels to tell us, and when I say us, uh, those who are registered Republicans or conservatives to lead, those who had voted for Trump or voted for Lee Zeldin or voted for Malinaro or voted for me for mayor, to just pack your bags and get the hell out of here. In fact, it was started way back in 2014. Remember? Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Francia Bruta, King Cuomo I, started the war cry against Republican and conservatives when he basically said, leave. You don't belong here. Get the hell out of here. Are they these extreme conservatives who are right to life, a poor assault weapon, Anti-gay? Is that who they are? Because if that's who they are, and if they are the extreme conservatives, they have no place in the state of New York. So this because that's not who New Yorkers are.
That's 2014, and the exodus has continued. It is no longer a, a little trickle. It's now a tsunami of people abandoning the state of New York. And then just nine months ago, at the start of the gubernatorial campaign against Congressman Lee Zeldin, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb basically told all of us who were Republican and conservatives, pack your bags and get the hell out of here. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, re- you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers. We're not New Yorkers, right? Get out of town. Give me that music underneath that, Diego. You know I need a little better music to keep everybody pumping and jumping here. Because it is glorious. <laughs> Stefan of the Miami Sound Machine, who was basically saying, yeah, come on, get up on your feet. Come on down to Miami Beach. Come on down to Florida. And they have been by the hundreds of thousands. But we cannot exempt Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, because two years ago on the stage of the National Action Network, in the company of Al Slim Shady Sharpton, he basically told McWhitey Whitey's, hey, why don't you go back to Iowa and Ohio? Go back to Iowa. You go back to Ohio. New York City belongs to the people that was here and made New York City what it is. Ah. Let's see. Cuomo told us to leave. Uh, Kathy Kleinwave Holcomb told us to leave. Eric Adams told hipsters and millennials, uh, code words, uh, Iowa, where there are more pigs than people, uh, Ohio, the Buckeye State. He might as well have thrown in Idaho, where there are more potatoes than people. Hey, McWhitey, Whitey, uh, hipster and millennials, leave. Leave New York City. And then, of course, we don't want to exempt... uh, Phil Murphy, half in the bag, Phil Murphy across the Hudson River. By the way, uh, I don't ignore New Jersey because I know that per capita, per person, uh, our listeners, uh, the highest percentage of them are from New Jersey. And you suffer from a governor who's half in the bag, who when he gave his video message that's still up on his website from Drum Thwackett, the governor's mansion with his wife, smashed. You can actually see his eyes rolling in his head. And uh, <laughs> he called all of you knuckleheads, and you still reelected him. Thank God there's term limits. But then again, you'll probably make the same mistake again, like you made with Chipmunk uh, Cheeks Corzine. Remember? Oh, he was CEO of Goldmine Sachs. We got to elect him. <laughs> he was one of your worst governors ever. And so they uh, made a second mistake. You uh, decided to uh, elect half in the bag Governor Murphy, who's also a graduate of Goldmine Sachs who spends half his time as his $38 million mansion in Italy, he might as well just opt to say, hey, President Joe Biden, can you appoint me the ambassador to the Vatican because I'm here in Italy more than I am back in New Jersey. And waiting in the bullpen uh, for next time run against probably Citarelli, uh, he would be the choice, the Republican conservative choice, is Steve Phillips, the mayor of Jersey City, who, guess what's on his resume? He's a graduate of Goldmine Sachs. Are all of you folks there, are you masochists? If somebody comes to you and says, oh, I'm a graduate of Goldmine Sachs, I not only screw the people I sell stock to, but then I short them. So I get them coming or going either way, and yet people still keep going to Goldmine Sachs. 
But anyway, here's Phil Murphy saying, if you don't like paying taxes in New Jersey, you can leave too. And I would say this, if you're a one-issue voter and tax rate is your issue, we're probably not your state. (laughs) So you wonder why the largest exodus ever in the history of the United States towards the number one destination, Florida, continues from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. It is just continuing. And where are they going? They're going to a state where the governor is DeSantis, where when he was facing an all-out emergency right at that point that Hurricane Ian was smashing into the west coast of Florida, into Fort Myers, into Lee County, where water was everywhere, And all of a sudden, law enforcement was paralyzed because they couldn't get into certain locations. He basically mobilized the citizenry. Yeah, he mobilized the guard. He mobilized the sheriffs. He mobilized the municipal police forces. But most importantly, he mobilized the citizens of Florida and said, remember, we're a Second Amendment state. If you loot, we shoot. The other thing that we're concerned about, particularly in those areas that were really hard hit, is, you know, we want to make sure we're maintaining law and order. Uh, Don't even think about looting. Don't even think about taking advantage of people in this vulnerable uh, situation. And so local law enforcement is involved in in, in, in monitoring that. You know, I told Kevin if the state needs to help as well, uh, because you you can have people, you know, bringing boats into some of these islands and trying to ransack people's homes. Um, I can tell you in the state of Florida, uh, you never know what may be lurking behind somebody's home. And I would not want to chance that if I were you, given that we're a Second Amendment state. Oh, that sounded so good. Did you ever imagine that Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb would say that? Like when there was the uh, looting, as the snow was piling up and the bodies were piling up in Buffalo? No, she would never say that. Could you ever imagine half in the bag Governor Murphy saying that at time of an emergency? Of course not. He would never say that. And that's another reason that so many people are fleeing to Florida. On the state level, uh, we see that uh, Lester Chang, who had won the Assemblymanic District seat in Brooklyn against Peter Abate Jr., who had been there for 36 years, uh, he is supposed to chow for term limits. Lester Chang sat through a grilling cross-examination that was given by Stanley the Slime Schlein, who is the consigliere for the crooked Democratic Party machine in the Bronx. And uh, his boss is Carl Hasty, who is the Speaker of the Assembly, and obviously the guy who is promoting the fact that he wants to do everything within his power to block Lester Chang from being able to take his duly and rightful seat, of which he was elected to overwhelmingly by the, uh, the people in the 23rd District, uh, Brooklyn, which includes Bensonhurst, Sunset Park, Borough Park, and Diker Heights. He won, hands down, no doubt about it. But um, Carl Hasty is saying, yeah, but your residency, I don't know about that. Yeah, it appears you were a resident of Chinatown. It appears you voted in Chinatown. And even though, uh, you know, we're sore losers, uh, we're going to hold you to that and we're going to prevent you from being seated in this brand new assembly. Well, yesterday we were told that after that grueling uh, um, inquisition by Stanley the Schlein, (laughs) or as I call him, Stanley the Slime Schlein, 
who, by the way, is consigliere to the Bronx Crooked Democratic Machine, also used to make his money because he would be assigned to uh, probate and surrogate court. So he would end up handling a lot of estates that were in flux. And apparently some of his tactics, especially with widows, in bilking them of money that they deserved and not him, was such that the judges in charge of probate and surrogate court in Westchester and the Bronx and Manhattan told Stanley the slime schlein sayonara. And he decided, hey, you're right. I shouldn't be involved with that. Whoa. And by the way, here's the same guy who represented Robert T. Johnson at the time. He was district attorney of the Bronx, claiming he lived in the Bronx, up in the northern part of the Bronx, but in fact lived in Westchester. Wow. It was Stanley the Slime Schlein who represented him and said, not true, not true. And then the more egregious case, Pedro Espada Jr., who eventually uh, became the crook of all crooks and became the majority leader of the Democrats in the state Senate before he went to jail. He was living openly right in Mamaroneck in Westchester. He'd be right out at, at poolside, taking in the sun, right off the Long Island Sound. Uh, the reporters would come. They'd say, hey, Pedro, you're supposed to be living in Bedford Park in a co-op. He said, mind your own business. Talk to my lawyer. Stanley the Slime Schlein. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Every time you come around, you know I can't say. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. I can feel the paradise before my world implodes. And tonight, had something wonderful. My bad habits lead to late nights and then alone. Yeah, bad habits. As we move towards the 7 o'clock hour, when I'll be joined once again by our owner and operator, John Casamitidis, great talk show host in his own right. You can hear him every Monday through Friday, the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, and especially Sunday mornings, this uh, past Sunday from 8 to 10. He had on a gazillion uh, newsmakers, but the one that really lit it up across the world was uh, former Secretary of State, former CIA director, Mike Pompeo, who was lighting up the Red Chinese and saying COVID is spreading all over Red China. Like 250 million people who are designated as being positive COVID. And yet we're going to resume flights, having Red Chinese from mainland China, from Macau, from Hong Kong, come into our country don't we remember what happened back in June of 2020? Well, of course not. We'll get into more of that when John gets in, and I'll flesh it out in a little bit. But Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. And who had more bad habits than Pete Rose in Major League Baseball? Without a doubt, Pete Rose was the energizer bunny. There's nobody who epitomized a work ethic more than Pete Rose when he played for Cincinnati. 
Montreal Expos and the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, this guy, they'd walk him and he'd run to first base. You know, uh, we might as well put up some Pete Rose jerseys around here at WABC, Diego, because maybe it might inspire some of our uh, our uh, narcissistic uh, personalities to uh, actually come back to work. Uh, today, by the way, it is a working day, I believe. It's not a holiday, but you never know that. As people have decided, hey, I'll come back tomorrow, maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Uh, Really? Okay. So we're going to hold it down. And I want you to know that John Katzmatidis did an outstanding job last week, and I was proud to be able to join him holding down the fort to when Sid Rosenberg returns with his board operator, Lou. I see that, uh, oh, (laughs) Macedonian Phil is here, but no Justin Ellett. Hopefully they return tomorrow. Wouldn't it be surprising... If uh, Mr. Uh, George Santos goes to Washington and is working on Tuesday and some of our hosts are not working back here at WABC by Tuesday, we'll get to that momentarily also. But let me talk about Pete Rose, because I remember as a kid watching Pete Rose, rookie year, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati Reds in the old Crosley Field, which was a little bandbox. And the New York Yankees had just come up. They had broken their spring training camp in Fort Lauderdale, and they were stopping to play the Cincinnati Reds, which had a great team. had Frank Robinson, Vader Pinson, and they had this uh, brand-new guy, this rookie called Pete Rose. Whitey Ford was on the mound, Elston Howard catching. And Whitey Ford walked him because uh, Pete Rose was in a crouch. They didn't like that. What are you crouching down for? Making it more difficult to hit the strike zone. And when Whitey Ford walked Pete Rose, he ran to first base. And I'll never forget the Yankee broadcast team. They said, oh, what is he, showboating? What is he, a hot dog? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he stole second base. And he got all dirty in the process. And then he stole third base. Because Whitey Ford just couldn't believe that this guy would run to first base, steal second base, steal third base. And if given the opportunity, he would have tried to belly flop right into home and try to knock down Elston Howard as he would block the plate. He never did. But I looked at that, and I said, man, this guy doesn't look like a ball player. He looks like he just strolled out of a bar and was in a a softball league representing a bar in Cincinnati, near over the Rhine or Vine Street. And this guy turned out to be just an incredible workaholic. He would get into the batting cage before the game. He'd get into the batting cage after the game. He he takes so many swings that he had blisters on his hands that would be breaking, and he had to tape them up and get back in the batting cage just to perfect his swing. He was not a great athlete. He was not a gazelle. He wasn't the best runner. But, boy, he was like a Brunswick bowling ball. You got in his way on the base pass, he'd knock you down. Just ask Bud Harrelson of the Mets. He nearly started a riot in uh, Shea Stadium at that time. But. Rose holds the Major League Baseball all-time records for games played, 3,562 plate appearances, 15,890, and at-bats, 14,053. This guy had a workman's attitude, blue-collar working class, that I'm going to work because I love baseball morning, noon, and night. Except he was also a degenerate gambler, both as a player and as a manager. And so he got caught placing bets, $10,000 per day. That's a degenerate gambler. The problem was Major League Baseball, the commissioner, determined after an investigation that he bet specifically on at least 50 red games. 
the very games that he was the manager of the club for 1987. As a result, he was thrown out of Major League Baseball band in perpetuity. What was Pete Rose doing yesterday in the Buckeye State, the state of his birth? The all-time Major League Baseball hit king, who has been uh, banned lifetime, was placing the first legal sports bet in the history of the state of Ohio at the Hard Rock Casino. I don't know if he was placing it on the the action uh, on the gridiron, or he could have been uh, placing it on the action at college level, as you know. Uh, Michigan got beat barely by TCU in the semifinals of the NCAA championship. And just yesterday, in a real thriller also, just as close, the Georgia Bulldogs without Herschel Walker pulled the victory uh, against Ohio State and the Buckeyes. And there was Pete Rose, first online to gamble. Now you're saying to yourself, How could you keep this guy out of Cooperstown? How could you keep this guy out of the Hall of Fame up in New York State when everything involved with Major League Sports now has to do with gambling? In fact, the teams like the Yankees, like the Mets, like the Cincinnati Reds, they want to get at a cut of the local action, whether it's FanDuel or any of the apps that have enticed so many of you hipster and millennial guys like you, Macedonian Phil, to lose every nickel, dime, and penny that you have so that you have to actually uh, jump to turnstiles in order to get to work. I know, I know. You've been reported on the L train as a fair evader. Nothing's going to happen to you. But here's Pete Rose, banned from Major League Baseball, and yet promoting gambling, and every Major League team now depends on some of its uh, income from coming from legal gambling. (laughs) What hypocrisy! Madonna, I... And obviously, you heard from uh, Macedonian Phil. He gave us the uh, results of the uh, NFL action. And actually, he applauded. Uh, he, he applauded, right, Phil, the New York Giants, right? Did you see that hit on their quarterback? Did you see how our New York Giant guy was on the ground reveling in that like he was doing jumping jacks on the ground? That was a double disgraziata. That was a double shanda. No, no, New York fans, oh, no, that's great. That's one of the kill the quarterback. What did that do to the point spread? What did that do to the over-under? That's all you're interested in and the other degenerate gamblers. Well, if we're going to continue to promote legal gambling, as we should, so that organized crime does not make all that money from all their wire rooms and bookies who give credit and then come with their muscle guys to bend your leg and, and stuff it in your pocket if you don't pay the VIG, How can we continue to ban the best player in Major League Baseball in our lifetimes? Pete Rhodes. Let him in. Let him in at Cooperstown. He earned it long ago. Oh, that's right. How could I forget this? This involves our own owner-operator. Great talk show host in his own right, John Katsimatidis, who will be in here from 7 to 10 doing double duty again until everyone decides to come back and actually work. Uh, And he's a producer and a celebrity booker. Well, listen to the Cats Roundtable with John every Sunday morning starting at 8, in which he gives you both sides of the story here. Here's his interview with Zach Williams of the New York Post about that pay raise and the uh, coronation of Kathy Crimewave Holcomb. 
The old adage, Happy New Year, what's in it for us? Well, unfortunately, what's in it for everyday New Yorkers is, you know, whatever, uh, you know, Albany Democrats uh, or Republican state senators, for that matter, might get. You know, the election happened, uh, you know, a little over a month ago. Voters had their say. And, of course, you know, as one longtime uh, Albany hand said, you know, it's after the election that the real politics get going. And, you know, whether it's the governor who was just elected to a four-year term or the state legislators who were elected to two-year terms, you know, now's the time when, unfortunately, voters just don't really get much of a say, at least at the ballot box. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness! Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. I'm Phil Dixon with your bottom of the hour sports update, sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. For America's best-built boilers, go to peerlessboilers.com or paviliontankless.com for a dealer near you. We're just about done wrapping up the penultimate week of NFL football, and yesterday we captured the highs and lows of the sport locally. Let's start the week off on a high note in MetLife, where the New York Giants played one of their best games of the season, dismantling Jeff Saturday's Indianapolis Colts. Daniel Jones is starting the new year off strong in what was likely the best game of his career. Danny Dimes got four touchdowns himself, split evenly with two passing and two rushing. With the 38-10 win against the Colts, the Giants moved to 9-6-1 on the season, but more importantly, they clinched their first playoff berth since 2016. Here's Giants running back Saquon Barkley on the team's direction after the win. You want to make it to the playoff, but it's not like I mean, making the playoff is not like you won a Super Bowl. Uh, you gave yourself a chance to compete for the Super Bowl. So it's um, just another, another step ahead, um, and we just got to keep working. We go from the highest of highs with the Giants to the lowest of lows with the Jets. Despite the great game from rookie cornerback Sauce Gardner on the defensive end, Gang Green just couldn't get anything brewing on the offensive end against the Seattle Seahawks. Only six points scored in their 23-6 loss for the Jets, and with that loss goes the team's postseason hopes. That's right with last night's L. The New York Jets are officially eliminated from playoff contention. Over to the ice, all three local teams were in action. The New York Rangers went down south and toppled the Florida Panthers 5-3. The Carolina Hurricanes flew north to edge out the New Jersey Devils 5-4 with the winner coming in shootouts and the New York Islanders fall flat over west out west in Seattle against the Kraken with a final score of 4-1. With your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Peeler Spoilers, I'm Phil Dixon with 77 WABC Sports. I've been hearing a lot about Lang Insurance. They sell luxury home insurance to high net worth individuals in all 50 states. Call Kevin Lang at Lang Insurance. Call 866-964-4434. He's an expert in reviewing your current coverage to save money, leaving you with your current insurance company or moving you to a less expensive one. Clients rave about his skills. You call, they quote, you save. That's 866-964-4434 or just visit langins.com. Friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Wow. Had to be reminded by Vinny Madunio in his classic musical hour. He does it five to six Saturdays right before his mentor, Cousin Bootsy, takes you from six to ten, and then it's Tony Orlando. Without dawn from 10 to 12. And then it's Vinny Madunio, so nice they let him come back and do it twice on Sundays, 5 to 6. And yesterday, he shared the microphone with me, because you know me. I just uh, eat up that talk time, and now music time, entertainment time, as uh, he let me DJ the disco classic hits, many of them by Donna Summers. 
who was the disco queen extraordinaire from 1976 to 1984. She dominated the airwaves, dominated it. It's like every other song was Donna Summers. If you listen to WKTU, the Supreme Cuisine and Cuisinette Station, with all the Boricuas listening, oh, I mean, it was not a day, not an hour, not a moment. You didn't hear a Donna Summer jam like this, Spring Affair, and it reminds me, I can't wait for spring. December 20th, excuse me, March 20th this year. I've had it with winter so far, right? Even though it's very seasonable outside, it's in the 40s and 50s. I can't wait for spring. Now, it doesn't mean you have a spring affair and fling. No, 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 no. Because that's what it always meant with Donna Summers. It was always sensual. It was always sexual. It was always exotic. But on Saturday... December 31st, if she had been alive, she would have been 75 years old. And I had no idea that she had died from asbestos poisoning. Nobody knew that. The queen of disco died from asbestos poisoning that she got because she lived in direct proximity to what became the largest open-air crematorium in the world. After the attack at 9-11, downtown Manhattan. And when that cloud, that plume, hung over that area, she listened, like so many others, to Christine Todd Whitless, who, uh, uh, based on the Peter Principle, had been kicked upstairs from being governor of New Jersey. And then suddenly she was the EPA chiefess for Bush 43. And she announced, have no fear, Donna Summers and everyone else, whether you're going into the pit each and every day or working or going to school or living in the various condos and apartments. You can inhale and exhale. You don't need a respirator. You don't need a hazmat suit. You don't need Playtex gloves. You don't need a mask. Go ahead. Live a normal life. And, boy, people have died horrible deaths as a result. When you get lung cancer from... uh, Inhaling the asbestos fibers that linger in the air, that is a brutal death. As lung cancer can be, it's the fastest growing cancer once it's diagnosed. And boy, they have to take immediate action. And she must have suffered horribly down in Naples, Florida, where she passed away. But who knew? Who knew? And as a direct result, of inhaling the air as she continued to live there in proximity to 9-11 like so many others out there. And look at all those men and women we've lost since who needlessly suffered, whether it's a thyroid condition, cancer condition, lung cancer condition. Well, I learned something this weekend. Uh, Vinny Madunio reminded me, you know, it would have been uh, Donna Summer's 75th birthday. Think. Think of all those times you went to the clubs. Think of all those times you went to uh, weddings and bad mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs and confirmations and communions. What would the band play? What would the wedding uh, uh, singer and band play? They'd say, oh, you got to play the uh, Donna Summers jam. That's every And everybody would be up on their feet. Now, the reason I'm playing this is because... Um, We've issued a memorandum through the Department of Transportation, through Secretary Buttigieg, 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 uh, who's always missing in action. Signed on by President Joe Biden, who's always missing in action uh, as he wanders about looking for his golf ball out there in St. Croix, the Virgin Islands. Boy, was that sad. He hit it into the rough on his, what, like his 20th vacation. 
and he refused to take a mulligan and continue. Secret Service tried to say, Mr. President, we can't find the ball. So he had his nephew, he had Secret Service, and he was uh, stumbling and rumbling around for like an hour to find the ball. And finally they said, Mr. President, we can't find the ball. He goes, damn it, I know it's around here somewhere, mumbling and stumbling around. This is the guy who's in charge of our country. Well, John Katsimatidis once again came through with a huge interview on Sunday morning between 8 and 10, as he does each and every week. He had on the former CIA director of the Trump administration, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was uh, like um, like uh, danger, Mr. Robinson, like the robot. Remember, danger, Mr. Robinson, like Paul Revere warning us, do not allow flights to continue coming in from mainland China, from red China. Not into any of our airports, whether they're from Beijing, Shanghai, whether they're from Macau, whether they're from Hong Kong. Don't do it. We are going to pay the price. And you know what this reminds me of? Another interview that John did that made worldwide headlines. Right in the middle of January of 2020, when uh, we had been watching uh, all the uh, Michigash over in Red China, People who are being locked into their homes, quarantines being issued, whole factories, whole apartment buildings being locked down because of this thing they call coronavirus in Wuhan. And then all of a sudden we had our first case somewhere outside of Seattle. And it was uh, Dr. Fauci, thank God he's finally gone. But Dr. Fauci in January of 2020 who told John Katsimatidis, don't worry, be happy. Just as in the spring of 20. You tell the American people uh, about what's going on. Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about because we have ways of preparing, of screening, of people coming in, and we have ways of responding like we did with this one case in Seattle, Washington, who had traveled to China and brought back the infection. Couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. If you remember January 31st of 2020, President Donald Trump blocked all traffic travel coming in and out of Red China. And then March of 2020, the lockdown as this this uh, coronavirus was spreading everywhere and causing people to go into ERs and ICUs and never coming out because they were on ventilators, ventilators, ventilators. So Mike Pompeo, once again warning us, three years later, hey, beware. Just as in the spring of 20, he sent people around the world who he knew were infected. He's doing the same darn thing again. He's going to infect millions more. We shouldn't let that happen. When he said he, he was referring to Emperor Xi for life of Red China. And then he went on to say, look, look at all the Red Chinese who were infected, John. We're about to do the same thing again. The data's no good, but it sounds like we might have as many as a million, a million, a million Chinese people infected, 50% of their population traveling. There, there is no reason that we should allow the Chinese to do this again, to tr- send Chinese infected persons around the world knowingly infecting people all across the globe. And when do Chinese people travel all over the world for their Lunar New Year, which is happening now in January? Just like it did back when Fauci made that ridiculous statement that, don't worry, be happy, we got nothing to worry about. 
During Chinese Lunar New Year, which takes place almost the full month of January, it's like St. Patrick's Day, right, the full month of March, they fly globally everywhere. And they meet up with Chinese family members and friends from Cape Town to South Africa to Buenos Aires and Argentina to Sydney and Melbourne, Australia, and here in the United States. And that's how it spread the last time, like wildfire. So why would you resume flights now when you know that the number one nation with the fastest growing infection rate per capita per person that has a billion and a half people and it's multiplying expeditiously each and every day, you resume flights in. Uh, what did Boudiget, 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 Boudiget say, our Secretary of Transportation? Don't worry, be happy. They have to prove that they are COVID negative first before they can board that plane. How crazy is that? If they didn't have COVID before they get on that plane, they'll have COVID. Look at what happened those two flights into Milan. Recently, the first flights from uh, Red China into Milan, two plane loads of Red Chinese nationals. In each plane, 50% of those, half of the passengers, when they got off the plane, were tested and they were COVID positive. Beware, Italy. You'll soon be in lockdown. You think think we can learn from their mistake? And you know, it would have been excellent uh, just to tap into Pompeo's thought process about this alleged Islamic extremist uh, who was involved in that machete attack on the NYPD cops, uh, the three of them at 10 p.m., just two hours before the ball dropped in Times Square. Remember, he was right in proximity of the ball drop, right in proximity of Times Square. And apparently, uh, you know, they're claiming that he's a lone wolf. He's not part of any cell. In fact, he penned a disturbing manifesto that urged his family to please repent to Allah and accept Islam because he was waging jihad against the most identifiable symbol of New York, the New York City Police Department. His name, Trevor Bickford, a Maine resident who arrived in our city just days before the attack as he had carried this handwritten note in his back to back along with a collection of religious Muslim materials, $200, and weapons galore while staying at the Bowery Mission in Lower Manhattan. Now, how the hell did he get in and out of the Bowery Mission without being patted down, without being uh, his duffel bag or his backpack being put through a metal detector? Hey, Bowery Mission, hopefully you're searching your clients. Oh, my God. Quote, I fear greatly that you will not repent to Allah, and therefore I hold hope in my heart that a piece of you believe so, that you may be taken out to the hell fire. Jihad! To my brother, Travis, of anyone I know who I have felt is closest to faith, it's you. Of anyone I have ever wanted to accept Islam with me, it's you. Repent to Allah and accept Islam. I fear for what will happen to you if you don't. Now, this guy was a recent convert, right? But they're claiming that he was on the terrorist watch list. I ask one question. We've lost John Miller from the NYPD, who used to be the spokesperson for the anti-terrorist unit that had 1,000 members. With the depletion in the ranks from 38,000 to 34,000, we've lost 4,000 cops in the last two years, and we've not replenished them. How many of those cops... 
highly trained, highly sophisticated, retired early or retired normally or decided to go to uh, better pastures to earn more money with other police departments were from the anti-terrorist unit. No John Miller, and I predict less cops dedicated to fighting terrorism, which makes us increasingly more vulnerable to lone wolf attacks and, more importantly, organized attacks of cells that are embedded within the fabric of the five boroughs or the surrounding suburbs who want a third bite at the apple. Remember, first in 92, second attack in 9-11, and they're more than happy to come back and do it a third time because this is the epicenter of little Satan where there are more Jews than anywhere else and the big Satan, the United States to them. Sit in Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. One of your favorites, John. John is in the house, our owner-operator. Great talk show host in his own right with that uh, huge interview with uh, Pompeo yesterday. In the interviews you do Sunday mornings, 8 to 10, they always light up the, the news boards and go viral. And this was a biggie. I just played cuts from that. We'll be doing it all throughout the morning until 10 o'clock, until the end of Sid with Friends. Uh, but, John, this uh, Frankie Valley song, right? Which one? Listen to it. Crank it up there for John. You saw Jersey Boys on uh, in Broadway. Great musical, Frankie Valli in the I Four love Seasons. Great music. Problem is, could we do it the way it used to be done? You remember the suits that they wore from the '60s? What would happen if now one of the members had to be non-binary or in transition? We're in deep crap. Well, <laughs> when they sing that classic "Big Girls Don't Cry," one of them could step forward and say, "That's me." Absolutely. You know what I really enjoyed, Curtis? Yes. We did that midnight uh, run on uh, on uh, New Year's Eve. Yes. Um, for mid, we were on. Uh, you were on until six. Me and Margot and Rita Cosby. We came in to keep you company uh, from midnight to two a.m. And I think the podcast is out. If anybody ever wants to. Uh, re-listen to yeah, it. Yeah, well, we, uh, Nancy was here Nancy also. Nancy was here. With Loki, our youngest uh, rescue the, uh, cat. The, the Chinese cat. The Chinese cat. Well, gave him a Chinese name, Loki. <laughs> but she took the video. She posted it. Uh, so I got to see exactly where it is. Uh, you know, John, some people around here, you know me, I'm old school. Uh, I guess they decide. Maybe, maybe you think by tomorrow. Isn't it ironic that George Santos will be reporting to his job at the House of Representatives tomorrow, Tuesday, and he might actually be working in the in the halls of Congress before some of our people return here to WABC. But anyway, we had a great video. You'll see John. He's got the party hat on, you know, from breaking in the new year with Margot and Rita Cosby. And uh, we counted it down. And all the people who were calling who were grateful, John, because they said normally... I'd be alone in my home. I don't have family and friends. A lot of people who were sight-challenged and blind, like uh, David Patterson himself, uh, were just so grateful th- that you had put in uh, place a live WABC and local program. WABC is with you all the time. And we had uh, 
you know, 168 hours a week and uh, seven days a week and uh, three o'clock in the morning if you can't sleep, two o'clock in the morning you can't sleep. Well, you'll always have Curtis, <laughs> or you'll always have Morano. Yep, yep, yep. Hey, Morano, wherever you are, get your Moran, butt where back the hell here. Morano, yeah, John, he's uh, from that new generation, like our crew here, hipsters and millennials. The big Wall Street Journal article on January first. I'm sorry they did it on January first because very few people will read it. It said that people are deciding when they want to work, how they want to work. As opposed to the good old-fashioned way you were brought up and I was brought up is that if you can inhale, if you can exhale, you can work. work. Let me tell you something. We're living under the law of the jungle. The strongest survive. So if you want to work two days a week, guess what? You're not going to survive. Well, you know what they do, uh, John? They sit home and they binge on Netflix. They watch like 52 straight episodes uh, on Netflix they do their social networking in which they post all the foods they had that day, and they scratch their belly, and they eat food. And I got to tell you, how many, how many people do you know, John, and I've known, who've worked hard in their life, who put away a little bit of money for their retirement, you know, pension, they have Social Security, they've taken care of their family, their children, their grandchildren, and because they're not working any longer, John, within a month, they're dead. And you say to yourself, how could that be? They finally got to a you point. You know what God does? If you have no purpose in living, mm. if you're not producing children, I mean, one of the products of males and females produce children, especially males. If you're not producing children and you don't have no purpose in living, poof. <laughs> as as uh, Chuck Schumer recently said, we're not reproducing enough. That's why we need the illegal aliens coming in. Oh, by the way, John, am I permitted to say illegal aliens? You know, this nonsense that, oh, you have to Is call it law yet? Did she sign it into she law? She signed it into law. We, according to her, we must refer to people who are illegally crossing the border as undocumented aliens. And I'm telling you. Does that include Martians and Venusians? Well, I know you love that. And let's face it, that's what uh, Frank Morano does best best on the other side of midnight. The UFOs, the extraterrestrials, the Martians, and the little gray aliens. Roswell, the whole nine yards. Well, hopefully. They heard there's more of them coming because they heard they can get a free apartment in New York. That's right. And free phone, swag bag. And you get laundry. Remember how the uh, guys from Venezuela, they were staying in that tent on Randall's Island a few days before they shut it down? Oh, they only spent, what, $18 million in that tent? That's it. And they were getting their laundry done and brought back to them with bounty fabric softener in it. And they had their own celebrity shoppers who would go out and shop with them and say, uh, Miguel, I see you were living in Caracas. What would you like us to go get you today? And the homeless, our homeless, 350 feet away in a shelter. We're like ready to burn that tent down. Well, I made it here in time. I came in, I, I got here because I had a great Uber driver. I had Bindu, B-I-N-D-U, Bindu from Na- not Naples, Florida. Nepal. Nepal. Nepal, up near Kathmandu. My God, you know, my friend Fritz Selby used to be the ambassador, I think, to Nepal. Oh, let me tell you something. That was also the trail from Afghanistan with the opium. They'd go through Kathmandu, the Himalayan mountains, and then they go to Turkey And that's how you got Midnight Express. Boy, when the Turks caught you with drugs, 
Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Anyway, we continue. Well, Chinese are still getting even with us for the opium wars. That's true. Well, anyway, up next, it's CNC for the next three hours. John Katsimatidis, Curtis Slee. We're right here at WABC. Spectacular. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the my lighting up. Star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC Sid Rosenberg. Oy, this oy. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. The cat man is in the house. This is your song, John. You loved it all last week as we substituted for Sid and Friends. Oh, boy. Well, Sid. Sid's coming on in a little while. Oh, well, did he decide he's going to actually come back to work here? No, he didn't want to get on to about 8, 840. He'll wake up about that. Yeah, okay, okay. I hope the rest of the slackers decide, hey, it's a work day. It's no I more holiday. This. Hey, you sure Piscopo's not here playing this? No, no, it's a great song, but... Is Piscopo working today? Uh, he did a live show yesterday. He didn't do it from the studios here at WABC, yeah. but it was live because he was out with his family. But to his credit, he did a live show. And I hope that Margot was listening because remember, the big promo was that Curtis would DJ disco on Vinnie Madunio's show, which I did. I did a musical program with Vinnie. I missed it. Can we have a playback? Absolutely. Anyway, John? Got a lot of feedback. People said, you know, I think I'd rather you uh, spinning stacks of wax than running your mouth a mile a minute. Oh, it's great classic disco music. So good. But, John, this time of year, years ago, you probably would have taken off a few days uh, and gone uh, down to Florida or gone to another location. It's just max and relax. A lot of people have done that. Our president did that to St. Croix in the Virgin Islands and... With so many problems taking place, he was out playing golf, like our previous presidents have, Trump and Biden and, uh, actually not Biden, and uh, Obama and Bill Clinton. And most times, a president, if they hit the ball where you can't find it, you know, Secret Service will try to retrieve it, or someone who's part of your poverty, they take a mulligan and they move on. Trump did it, Bush 43 did it, Obama did it, uh, Clinton did it. They all did it. Bush 41 did it. No. Stubbornly, Joe Biden stood there in the rough for a full hour insisting we're not moving on until we find my ball. And the Secret Service said, Mr. President, please take a mulligan. You know, there are a lot of things you have to respond to today back where you're staying. No, we're not leaving here till I find the ball. They never found the ball. He was there for a full hour just wandering around like he was lost, John. Like, clearly you can see he's impaired. And what's happening now is an executive order has been signed. I don't know if he read it, but it was written up by Boudigier, 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 who's our Secretary of Transportation, which allows flights to resume from uh, mainland China, Red China, as of January 5th, which is Friday, and they can fly in from Shanghai, from Beijing, from Macau, what, from are they Hong crazy? Kong. Absolutely. I mean, they, they, are, are, they, are we getting ready for uh, 
uh, the China attacks round two? And not only that, they are reporting that they have a wave of COVID there now because they are no longer quarantining. They are no longer doing those extreme crackdowns. Because remember, people were starting uh, to uh, riot in the streets, starting to demonstrate. So they figured, uh, we might not be here for long. It may be off with our heads. So guess what? No more quarantine. And this is the Lunar New Year. January is the Lunar New Year. This is where Chinese from all over the world fly all over the world. This is what they did the last time in 2020 when, in fact, you had the exclusive interview. Same time of year. Same time of year. You had the interview with Fauci. Is this a rerun? Yeah, remember, it was January of 2020 in which he told you, don't worry, John. Be happy. We have no worries at all about the Chinese. What can you tell the American people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about because we have ways of preparing, of screening, of people coming in, and we have ways of responding like we did with this one case in Seattle, Washington, who had traveled to China and brought back the infection. What happened? President of the United States at that point, Donald Trump, banned travel to and from Red China, the mainland, January 31st. And then the draconian lockdowns all across the nation, March of 2020. He couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. Move it up three years ahead. And on January 1st, John has this exclusive interview with former CIA chief of the Trump administration, former secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, who is saying, what, are we out of our minds? Just as in the spring of 20, he sent people around the world who he knew were infected. He's doing the same darn thing again. He's going to infect millions more. We shouldn't let that happen. And then he went on to tell you, John, that this is crazy because there's a million red Chinese who are infected. We're about to do the same thing again. The data's no good, but it sounds like we might have as many as a million, a million, a million Chinese people infected, 50% of their population traveling. There, there is no reason that we should allow the Chinese to do this again, to tr- send Chinese infected persons around the world knowingly infecting people all across the globe. Now, it was interesting, John, because Pompeo told you that uh, Emperor Xi, because he is now emperor for life, is purposefully sending infected red Chinese with a more advanced strain of COVID-19. They, they haven't yet given it a name yet, but it is a more serious strain than what we've had here in the United States and Europe. And he is dispatching them on flights. Now, they can't fly on their own if you don't let them in. We stupidly have said, as of next Friday, January No, he 5th, delayed it. We knew about it uh, on Thursday. Yeah. And he says, well, we're going to start checking or something January 5th. Why are we waiting five days? This is crazy. I mean, these people may be coming in infected. What are they? It's like the border. Come on in. Come on in. You got till January fifth. Then we may we may check you. John, they're claiming that the only way that a national red Chinese national can get on that plane leaving Beijing or Shanghai or Macau or Hong Kong is if they've been tested negative. And we all know that people were tested negative before and when exposed to uh, coronavirus and then COVID-19 and the other variants, 
Uh, they're inhaling that air that other people are exhaling. And next thing you know, by the time they get off that plane, when they get tested, like the uh, two the two plane loads of red Chinese who landed at Milan, half in each plane of 200 were COVID infected, were COVID positive. And you say to yourself, that's an example. Stop. Don't do it. This is nuts. I tell you, I don't know what they're thinking. Now, there's an article in, uh, in, in today's paper, one of them here, that Buttigieg has been warned by his own party. He's off ding-dangling around the world, and, and, and the airlines that comes under his administration, well, they're screwing the public. Unbelievable. After all the work to try to get us back on track. Now, one of the reasons that they want the Red Chinese uh, in, uh, John, is business-wise, they are the number one tourists in the world for America and for Europe. So before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020, when you would uh, tally up who the um, visitors to your city were, or the Red Chinese, and they would come, large numbers, 747s, and, you know, they would travel together. You know, whoever was the guide would fly a little flag, not a Red Chinese flag, but a flag, and they would all follow. The reason you knew they were from Red China is they would spit in the streets, and people... Not really used to a lot of that. I mean, they would be constantly spinning. And people would oh, they must be the red Chinese, not from Taiwan, not from Formosa. But they spent money. And they would, they'd hit Fifth Avenue. Oh, man, they'd spend man money in those. Uh, every, every society has their own habits. The first time I took my daughter to Japan, this is, I'll tell you, this is like 15 years ago, they were all wearing masks. You must have been to Japan. Yeah, I have guardian uh, But that's 15 years ago. Yes. I mean, and I was shocked, shocked. Now, also, uh, it used to be you'd go to Japan, right, obviously an advanced country, and their bathroom facilities was a hole in the ground. Now you go to Japan, uh, John, if you had to relieve Heated yourself. toilet seats. And massage, too. You get everything. You get air, you get water, you get massage. You don't want to get off the porcelain palace seat. You know how they, they just did a study that a lot of people retreat into their bathroom in order to get peace I'm and quiet. I'm surprised they didn't have a hand come up and wipe your butt. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. I, I mean, it's so advanced that people were given the opportunity of sitting on the normal porcelain palace or the advanced technologically improved Japanese version Oh, man, they go Japanese. But you're right. Every country has their own culture. But this is going to spread this new variant of COVID-19 all throughout the United States. Look, we've talked to a few doctors last week. They say, well, we have a lot of portion of the American people have herd immunity. And I'm praying they're right. But let's, you know, let's all I'm saying is let's be careful. Let's be careful. Well, you had on Dr. Mikolos, and you had on the uh, doctor from the Fox News channel. He pretty much said the same, although I think uh, the doctor from the Fox News channel. Dr. Mark Siegel, one smart guy. Grew up in Bayside, Queens. He's a local boy. He was a little more cautionary. Not so much uh, Dr. Mikolos because, you know, he was distracted. He was in that war with Congressman Peter King about Russia and the Ukraine. Okay, have you simmered them down? Uh, have you come there? Because I'm getting texts from Dr. Mikolos, who is our, our station historian. He's excellent with history. He's our station historian. He's our station medical expert. He's our station 
I mean, a little bit of everything. He's our in-house genius. Now, you've had both of them in these studios, the Bernard McGurk studio, named in his honor with the passing of uh, Bernard last year. And I got to tell you, if you get him in the same studio again, because you've had them both in here on a regular basis as part of your 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, I have a feeling it's going to be like having uh, two scorpions in a brandy class. Are are you going to have them sitting on different sides? Because they swore they would talk about this four weeks from now. They would give an update as to whether the Russians have the advantage in winter or the Ukrainians have the advantage. You see how sophisticated it gets here at WABC. You don't just comment on your field of expertise. You comment on everything that's going on in terms of current events. By by the way, Fox News just put out a bulletin. He said, you know what they're saying? NASA chief, who was that, Nelson? Uh, Warns, warns that China could claim territory on the moon. Oh, they're looking to colonize. They're looking to colonize. It's the only reason we're going back to the moon again, because we fear that the red Chinese will beat it to it. India wants to do it. Japan wants to do it. Russian wants wants to do it. No, the, the, the goal now is to colonize the moon. And without the help of Elon Musk, because he's the one who handles most of the flights for NASA now, if they ever saw messing with Elon Musk, because they've suggested that. Well, they're going to mess with him if they don't like what comes out of his mouth or on Twitter or whatever. They will mess with him. You know, they can put Elon Musk's SpaceX out of business by not giving him a permit to shoot off the damn satellite. But remember, he is the number one provider of space aircraft now in the world. And also, uh, hopefully, uh, freedom of truth on Twitter. John, that's the one business you never got involved in as a billionaire. You've got involved in almost everything else. Were you ever tempted? Because you were in aeronautics. You had an airline. We could we could do a big news service out of uh, with WABC. We already have a million listeners, and we already have a few million people on our uh, go to our website. Now, you've flown a plane yourself many times. Big airliner. I had 4,000 hours of jet time. Right. You own an airline, worldwide airline. If you would actually compete now with Elon Musk, with Bezos, and uh, forget the Brit there from Virgin Airlines. He has uh, 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 spacecraft that go up. Can you imagine, you know who'd want to be the first to go up in that space capsule. You know who'd first want to be in that space capsule. Is it Curtis? No. You know who here at WABC would want all the limelight of being an astronaut who went up and landed on the moon. Even though he's frightened of heights, he was in the bucket with you when you were lighting up the menorah right there outside the Plaza Hotel as he's been with you the Sid last... Sid Rosenberg? You know that. He'd be flexing. Well, maybe he could, you know, develop some land someplace. Think about that. Imagine sending Sid By Rosenberg. By the way, Sid is going to be with us at 840... Prime time, our 840 spot. Now, the other day when we were doing a live broadcast with the dropping of the ball to welcome in the new year, we were the only radio station going live and local at that time. You had John and Margo Katsimatidis. You had Rita Cosby. You had my wife, Nancy. You had our latest uh, cat uh, uh, recovery, uh, Loki, and you had me. You said that Sid was with Eric Adams because Eric I had Ad- the pictures. He was there? Yes, he was there. I have the pictures. And he had this big uh, uh, suit on that, because uh, uh, it was raining, it was drizzling. Wait a second. 
He was there rather than here? He was there. And but, then I texted him to call in. And he did. I didn't uh, return the text. John, could I be your wartime consigliere here at WABC? You have plenty of peacetime consigliere's. Can I give some of our we're, hosts... We're going to get you a new business card. No, hosts and hostesses, uh, give them an attitudinal readjustments. Your prime responsibility is to WABC. You should have been calling in, Sid. John, John, please, let me let me do what I do best. Let me give these guys a little attitude, a little adjustment. Morano, Sid, some of the others, knock them into line. Okay, okay. We'll oh, make but you at what time will he be on? 8.40. 8.40. Okay, Sid, calling from the Rockaways. And then at 7.40, we're going to get an update. You know, I promised our audience, along with you, John, that we would get a Christopher Columbus statue for Staten Island, since so many other cities don't want a Christopher Columbus statue. We're going to get an update on that, right? Angelo Vivolo is oh. going to be from the Columbus Foundation. He's going to be with us at eight four uh, at seven forty. My kumbada Chicho, it doesn't get better. And might be a surprise today. Rudy has done his broadcast all week long. He was down in Florida at the end of the week, and he said today he would be at Mar-a-Lago. I got to assume he was there for New Year's Eve, wasn't he? Yeah. But I got to assume that sitting with him will be Donald Trump himself. You Boy, never know. You, you never know. You do not want to turn the dial. Just keep it right here at 770 AM WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Sounds like a little bit of Cousin Brucie on Saturday night, 6 to 10, or Tony Orlando. Yeah, go ahead. You can pump it up, Diego. I know this is not your kind of music, you hipster and millennial. This is, this is classic. Baby boomers can relate to this, John. Can totally relate. This I would, remember this. This would be more Tony Orlando. Definitely more Tony Orlando than Cousin Brucie. What happened to Dawn? That's what I keep asking. I said, Tony, the last time he complimented me. Is Dawn me, I, alive? I think she is. We, we had that big discussion Saturday night about... Uh, uh, what, about uh, George Carlin? No, how about the other guy? The guy, uh, the, the, the orchestra guy. Oh, to, uh, uh, Guy Lombardo. Guy Lombago, Lombardo. Right, from uh, Canada. I said, is he alive? Yeah. Right, and you all look to me like, you should know. I knew everything else about Guy Lombardo, where he was from, London, Ontario. He ended up living in Freeport on the south shore of Long Island because he had racing boats, three racing boats. And he and his brother's great band, Guy Lombardo, the Royal Canadians, and he would welcome everyone in with Old Lang Syne for New Year's, first on radio, then TV, and then Dick Clark came. Has anybody really looked at the words of Old Lang Syne? No. I don't I, think. I bet you if you stopped the next hundred people on the street, they, they wouldn't even know what the words Not are. at all. Not at I all. I mean, it sounds great. And the other thing, uh, Tony Orlando told a story, which is true, that hasn't really been told it should be, that when Tony Orlando with Dawn with the number one variety show in America, George Carlin, who eventually became the number one comedian, could not get work because he had that bit where he talked about the seven words you can't say on radio or TV because of the FCC. Couldn't get work. And Tony Orlando called him up and said, you know, we're from the uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. You're from uh, uh, Morningside Heights where you grew up, John. And he was from uh, Chelsea. 
And he said, I'm going to get you on the variety show. He did. He muscled him in. And because of that, George Carlin always said, boy, if it wasn't for Tony Orlando, I might have had to get a job uh, bussing tables or driving a cab because nobody wanted to hire me again. His comedic talent was so good. It was such a good show Saturday night. Such a good show. We had so much going on. But now we got to talk about this uh, Islamic extremist who came in from the most unlikely of places, John, from Maine on an Amtrak train. He came in. He was staying a few days down at the Bowery Mission, uh, which does a fine job taking care of the homeless and the destitute. I've been there many times helping to feed uh, their clients. A really good operation. But this guy was carrying a a whole duffel bag full of weapons. I guess they weren't putting it through the metal detector or, or putting the wand on him. And he shows up outside of Times Square about uh, 10 o'clock at night, two hours before the ball drops. And he's got a sheath, and in the sheath he has a machete. And he's got the uh, uh, Islamic uh, head uh, head uh, cover. And he sees three police officers of the NYPD in uniform, and he pulls out the machete and he starts to attack them. Brand new rookie cop. He had just graduated the academy from Staten Island. He gets clipped in the head. He ends up with a concussion, and almost killed. Two other cops get sliced by the machete. They take him down. They bring him to the hospital. What do you mean they take him down? Why don't they just shoot him and get him over with? Well, they did shoot him at that point, but initially tried to in take the him head. down. And remember, they don't have nightsticks, John. Remember what a cop would always do. If somebody came at them with a bat or a knife or a machete, first thing, nightstick comes out. Then the gun, because you could block it with a nightstick. They have nothing to block it with. And so they shoot him. He doesn't die. He goes to Bellevue. Now it turns out that he had converted to the Islamic faith way up in a place you can't even find on the map in Maine. He had written a sort of goodbye letter to his family, a handwritten note to uh, his brother, to his mother, basically saying, I fear greatly that you will not repent to Allah, and therefore I hold hope in my heart that a piece of you believes so, that you may be taken out of the hellfire. And he decided to wage jihad against us. And the way he was going to wage jihad is by coming. Where else do they all come when they want to wage jihad? New York. 1992 World Trade Center. Remember, they tried to take the towers down. Uh, the spiritual leader at that time was Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, the blind-eyed Santa Claus hat-wearing uh, uh, leader who inspired them, who was the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. And then they came back a second time, as we know, with Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's still out there in uh, Gitmo. And, you know, they're always looking to take another shot at us here because they've always said, and when they've asked, why do you come to New York? They go, there are more Jews in New York, and it's the economic capital of the world, and that's why we want to strike a blow to the heart of the big Satan, America, and the little Satan, Israel. And we just we don't realize they're going to keep coming at us from, from little caves in Yemen or Afghanistan. Now that they have to Afghanistan back to Taliban, they're going to plan an attack. Train- they got their training ground back again. I got to ask. I mean, Afghanistan and Z's uh, are, are recruiting all the terrorists. I got to ask you a question. You know, we lost John Miller, who for many years uh, was a dedicated uh, spokesperson and worked uh, for the anti-terrorism unit of the NYPD. Very skilled for both 
uh, Bill Bratton, who brought him on board, both in New York and L.A., and then back to New York, and then uh, Michael Bloomberg and uh, uh, Ray Kelly. And then this year he retired. And I said, remember I said to you, I said, you know, John, we've lost 4,000 cops. We've gone down from 38,000 to 34,000. We always had 1,000 dedicated officers who learned to speak Arabic. They could translate. You know, they had special skill levels, which you can only develop after years of service in the NYPD. And I can't get an answer now. Is What are the numbers in the ranks? They had to have lost members either through normal it's retirement. It's got to be down. It's got to be down. And we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable because they, they watch this from all over the world. And there may be cells of uh, guys who are dedicated to do jihad against us. I think us John here. Miller is now working uh, with CNN. Yes, he is. But we, don't, we haven't heard any spokesperson emerge who is now the spokesperson for the anti-terrorism unit that under the leadership of Ray Kelly and Michael Bloomberg, remember, they stopped about 12 attacks. Twelve attacks and never happened because they they had the edge. And remember, they were going into places where there were mosques and shuls and where, you know, you could come and have a cup of coffee and sit down. And They went to places where they were giving out literature and they were undercover. Many of them were Arab Americans, dedicated uh, patriots of America, Arab Americans who knew the language, who would translate and keep us ahead of the curve. Then the court order came down. You can't do that any longer. It's racist. John, we are vulnerable to another attack, and this is the place they want to attack. You know, you got my. Uh, you you're more right than wrong. I agree with you. And think of it: dedicated men and women. Obviously, they can't get attention and recognition. They have to stay undercover. They have to stay in the shadows, and try to pick up information about a potentiality. Now, this guy that had the, the, the all the machetes and everything, how did he get down? He drove down? No, took Amtrak and went right to the Bowery Mission. He didn't have a place to stay. Uh, I would fault the Bowery Mission, although they run a fine uh, homeless shelter there, is that I hope they have metal detectors. Veronica Kelly one. used to uh, do a lot of work for them. Yeah, and they, they always said Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, they invite people to come down and distribute food because you can actually see the great work that they do. But he was coming in from, now get this, John, we can't even find it on the map, Wells, Maine. He was not born uh, someone who uh, worshipped the Muslim faith. He was a recent convert. And you know how converts are to religion, John. You've seen him in your own Greek Orthodox Church, although there are very few of them. It is so difficult to become a Greek Orthodox member. You have to go through the four-hour masses that are in Greek. You don't have that many. No, we had a lot of converts. We do have a lot of converts, and they're very nice people. Well, there's Tom Hanks. I was like your number one convert. But you would never have gotten me. I sat through uh, your ceremonies at four hours in Greek. Well, me and you were in Havana. Waiting for for Castro to come for the ceremony. That's right, and we decided to opt out after a few hours. But the interesting thing is, the evangelicals, they give you an easy pass. All you have to do, John, if you're an evangelical, you might have been drinking, you might have been gambling, you might have been a really bad person. All you have to do is say, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, you're saved, you're in with us. Other religions, like if, if you were to try to convert to being a Jew, which is a difficult process, we saw that with Sammy Davis Jr. and others becoming Greek Orthodox, Tom Hanks and others, not an easy process. They don't just say, hey, you're in, you got to study. 
Well, evangelical. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Okay, you're in. Easy pass to religion. But we don't know if he's attached to any cells. It appears he may be a lone wolf. But he could be a lone wolf, but a test. And then all of a sudden, the other terrorists say, watch, look how easily he got into Times Square. On a day in which you had more police assigned to that area because of the dropping of the ball in Times Square. And he was still able to successfully attack police officers and almost kill them. Well, the only mistake the police officers did, they should have shot to kill. I absolutely concur with you, but I would also suggest we need to return the nightsticks to the cop. When a cop pulls out their nightstick, it's a defensive weapon. But, oh, boy, when that cop pulls that nightstick, you don't want to mess with that cop because your kneecaps will be singing and ringing next. And, you know, if you run a block, all they do is say, don't worry about it, Charlie. You can pick him up. You'll see some guy limping up the block. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Well, 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 our crew is getting into the swing of things. That's the appropriate music when you put two baby boomers together, John Katsimatidis and Curtis uh, Sliwash. We substitute for Sid. It's the CNC show and a friend of WABC, longtime friend, who was sitting right in this studio the morning of the Columbus Day Parade talking about all the problems that exist in uh, in uh, states and uh, cities uh, trying to ban the uh, Columbus Day festivities, the parades, and taking away the statues. Uh, Angelo Vivolo, who stands there with so many others to say, no, no, you won't. We're going to keep this tradition alive. And he joins us once again here. First show of the new year. Angelo, how was your New Year's celebration? Oh, it was terrific. Well, let me first, uh, Curtis and John, uh, John, you and Margo and family, and Curtis, you and Nancy and family, uh, I wish you a new year filled with uh, good health, happiness, and hope. And let's let's uh, pray that uh, 2023 is uh, is is a is a better year than 2022. So that's first and foremost. Uh, I had a good celebration with my family for New Year's, and so I'm I'm real happy about that. Everyone's in good health. But I, I'm glad you're giving me this opportunity once again to speak about Columbus and to speak about some of the things that have gone on. I, I you know, uh, two years ago. Uh, I'm sure you're you're aware of uh, of Community Board Two in Brooklyn. They want to do away with the Columbus statue there. Uh, we went before the board. They were convinced there was this group called Down, uh, the, the Tear Down, uh, the, the Take Down Columbus, and uh, we spoke. And fortunately, uh, the, the last they haven't done anything. The statue's still up, and and that's what we think. If you can. If you speak your mind, you let people know the truth, and and uh, good things can happen. And that's what it's all about, uh, you know. Well, Angelo, you- Angelo, just for everyone's edification, that uh, a long-time Christopher Columbus statue is right outside of the Brooklyn State Supreme Court in the shadow of Brooklyn Borough Hall. As you can see, the bridge in the distance, it's a magnificent statue, and you're right. They had scheduled it for potential demolition or transplant into a warehouse or a museum. And you guys were able to stand strong, and it still remains to this day. 
Yeah, it was built by uh, it was it was created by Emma Stephens uh, in, in the 1860s, and uh, you know she was a, a gay woman who, cre- who developed it, created it. It was in storage for a long time, and then finally uh, it, it went to Brooklyn and uh, to uh, Columbus Park. So it's standing there, and we're very proud that it's still up there. But, you know, Curtis, John, what we're concerned about, that's why I'm so happy to be on with you guys this morning, is that, you know, uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, in the in the state Senate, uh, there's a bill to do away with Columbus Day. Well, you know, uh, we've had uh, assurances from the governor, uh, Governor Hochul, that uh, if it comes to her desk, she's going to veto that bill. That sounds good, and we appreciate that very much. However, you know, there could be uh, if three quarters of the legislature uh, wants to uh, to uh, to do away with that veto. They they could be successful, and that that bill can pass. So it's really important that everyone out there knows that this is not just you know not going to it's not going to be what they say. It's going to be so easy to maintain uh, the Columbus Day in New York State in New York City. So uh, we want people to be aware. We want people to be educated. We want, we want, as we always say, drop the hate and seek the truth. And uh, that's really what my goal is. And I'm so happy that you've given me this opportunity today because October is around the corner. And it starts up every October. And people get riled up and uh, don't get the real information. They hear these sound bites that make uh, Columbus sound like he's a, an horrific person, which he was not. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, You mentioned the continued battle to uh, remove uh, Christopher Columbus statues, which has occurred all over the country. The most recent, South Pittsburgh, uh, which was an Italian enclave, still is. They just took the statue, put it in storage. And uh, when. How how many have been taken down? Oh, across the country, there's many, many been taken, destroyed. In in Baltimore, they destroyed it. They they broke it and they, and they threw it into the they 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 threw it away. And how about recently in uh, in Newark, uh, New Jersey, uh, in in the middle of the night, they took it down. Uh, it was the the park it was in was called Columbus Park. They took they did away with it, and uh, they made it uh, they made it, uh, Harriet Truman Park, which is fine. She deserves to be acknowledged, and she deserves to have a statue. But did you have to take down Columbus' statue to to honor her? Two wrongs don't make a right. I say this all the time. You offend one culture, one religion, you offend all. Uh, Well, that's uh, what we do in WABC. We respect all cultures. And I don't mind bringing in a new one, but why take down the old one? And and that's, that's what gets me upset. All of us, John, uh, and we hope that uh, people will come to their senses, that that uh, right will win over wrong, and people will understand uh, that you have to respect everyone. I, I say this, you know, respect is the thing that's missing in our country today. You know, if we had more respect, we could have dis- disagreements, dis- you know, different uh, opinions, but we should at least respect one another. And, uh, you know, it, it, recently, uh, I'm sure you're, you're aware of the the anti-Semitism that's going on, not only in this city, and uh, but in the country. Uh, look, uh, we, the Columbus Heritage Coalition, we uh, we went out to all Italian Americans to let them know that they have to stand up and and protect uh, the protect the the uh, the, uh, the Jewish people and support them and uh, be against anti-Semitism. So well, you know, what's right and just? Who are all these people that are doing all the hating? If they hate Italians, if they hate Columbus, if they hate Asians, 
if they hate uh, uh, Jews, who's doing all the hating? Who are these people? Well, a lot of angry people out there. Some of them are emotionally disturbed, but most of them have an agenda. And, and why are we? Why is the press paying attention with them? Why is the why is the law enforcement community paying attention to them and and treating them with respect versus treating you know New Yorkers with respect, Americans with respect that we believe in, in the common good. Oh, no doubt. And, and uh, Angelo, you may have remembered, uh, they had put the uh, the uh, most well-known uh, Christopher Columbus statue uh, in their attack mode, and that was right there by Columbus Circle. It's a magnificent statue. It's been there forever. And it's a, um, a symbol of uh, working-class Italian people. My grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, would say, you know, that's that's representation of us, the people who they call Dagos, Wops, Guineas. Mm. And Italian-Americans looked at that with pride. But right, remember, right in the midst of the parade that Angelo runs every year with others, we got a commitment from Vito Fasella, borough president in Staten Island, which is referred to oftentimes as Staten Italy. It is the most Italian of all five of our boroughs that if we can find a statue that has been discarded, put into storage, still usable, whether it's Syracuse, whether it's South Pittsburgh, whether it's uh, Newark, wherever that statue ended up, that he would be more than happy to find a place, whether it was on Highland Boulevard or at uh, Mount Loretto, and put up a Christopher uh, statue uh, uh, so that the uh, young children and others can come and and actually have this statue for them in the most Italian of all our boroughs. So, Angelo, our work is cut out for us. We find yeah. the statue. And yeah. Vito Fasella said he's going to wel- welcome it, having it in his borough. Well, Curtis, you know, last year I made that commitment to you. We talked about it, and I know God bless you for uh, for supporting it. And, you know, I'm 100% behind you, uh, with you. And uh, if that we get that opportunity, we will absolutely be delighted to put a statue of Columbus uh, in, in Staten Island, where there are so many Italian-Americans, as you said. Remember, first it was the Christopher Columbus statues. Then the mayor at that time, de Blasio, and his wife, Charlene, would not accede to the will of the people. They had an open plebiscite. Which women do we want to have statues for? Because they were right. We don't have enough women who are recognized. And the number one choice of all New Yorkers, regardless of their race, ethnic, creed, or background, or religion, was Mother Cabrini. And the de Blasio said no, and to his credit... He's not been a friend of mine over the years. Andrew Cuomo, then governor, said, we will put up the statue. And recently, John, for the very first time, we were coming out to the Ferry Hawks game. We were taking the speed ferry from uh, near Herald Square. I mean, not Herald Square, but over near 34th Street. And Nancy was getting a little sick. She said, no, this goes too fast for me. We got off right down near Battery Park City. And as we were walking past the Holocaust Museum there it was, and she goes, oh, my God, what a magnificent statue. I never knew it was here. I said, Nancy, this was the work of Andrew Cuomo, who said, if de Blasio and Charlene will not recognize the will of the people, we from the state of New York will put it on state land, which is a Battery Park uh, City uh, uh, Foundation, and it's magnificent there today. Thousands of people pass by it on a regular basis. Yeah. I was honored to be the co-chairman 
of that commission that uh, that decided, you know, the style, who was going to build it, and so forth. It is magnificent, and the credit to Andrew Cuomo, uh, not only for uh, not only for that statue, but for supporting his his heritage, for supporting Italian Americans, for supporting our culture. I mean, that statue uh, that as you refer to at uh, Columbus Circle. Uh, you know, I, I tried to get that statue uh, approved by by uh, by the former mayor, and uh, in a week I was refused. And then I made an application to the state, and the state approved it uh, as an historical uh, monument, and it's on that re- the state well, registry which governor and on the it? national registry. Which governor approved about, it in the state? I'm sorry. Which governor approved it in the state? That was Governor Cuomo. Understood. And interesting, uh, the backstory has never been told. The real reason that Charlene uh, McRae, wife of uh, Bill de Plagio and others, voted down what the people wanted is because Mother Carini was pro-life. And I saw this before when it would have been the 100th uh, birthday anniversary for Mother Teresa, who was Albanian, and there was a consensus. Why not bathe the Empire State Building in the colors yeah, of blue and it. white? They refused to do it. And ultimately what it came down to, well, she's pro-life. Like, what? How could you be opposed to Mother Cabrini who saved thousands? My mother went to Mother Cabrini Hospital. Her life was saved there. How could you not honor Mother Teresa who did God's work with the poor, the impoverished, with uh, lepers in leper colonies in, uh, in in India? You say to Calcutta, so how could you not uh, they're pro-life. Amazing. <laughs> and they won't say that publicly. But that's why they stood in the way of honoring these two saintly women. Wow. And uh, Mother Frances Cabrini, she has 62 institutions across the country in her name. Hospitals, orphanages. It's it just, uh, it's incredible. But fortunately, we were able to prevail and and the statue is magnificent. If anyone of the listeners gets to that area, you should really take a look. It's really a spectacular uh, a statue of uh, Mother Frances Cabrini. But uh, we have to continue the fight, continue letting people know uh, what's going on. And God bless the 770 WABC because you shed the light. Uh, look, uh, you give people an opportunity to to uh, understand what the truth is and what's going on in our country, in our state, and in our city. And that is so important because, you know, I think John said it earlier, the media, the other media doesn't cover it. They cover just one side of it. And this is not uh, – I'm not talking about being conservative or liberal. I'm just talking about saying the truth, letting common the truth sense. out. We've we got to have common sense prevail. There is uh, a new target, Angelo. Let me let you all know, let our listeners know, there was a magnificent statue in Astoria, Queens, right where the Italians and the Greeks raised generation after generation of families. Magnificent. Well, the guy we were talking about the other week, the state senator, Gennaris, the Greek, and AOC, who represents that area uh, and is the leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, they are going to try to move Angelo legally, not illegally. They're not going to desecrate the statue. They're not going to, you know, throw paint palms at it or attack it. But they're going to try to do exactly what they're trying to do. Remember, outside of the Brooklyn State Supreme Court building that you were able to stop. So get ready. We got another fight on our hands, Angelo Vivalivo. Now, which statue are you trying to take down? 
the Columbus statue in, in Astoria. In Astoria? They're going to make the, the, the headquarters move. of Peter Vallone? Yep. They're going to attempt to do it legally, just like they did in Brooklyn. But that's why you have to have Angelo and others make the argument, no, that statue well, should stay. We, we certainly will, and if we have to move it, we'll move it to Staten Island. That's right. Staten, Italy, where they welcome Christopher Columbus. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Angelo. Thank you, Angelo. Thank you, Curtis. Thank Happy you, John. New Year. God bless you guys. Happy New Year to all. You see all, you. all the work we give you, John? We make these resolutions. We make these commitments. Boy, it's going to keep you busy 24-7-365. we got to find that statue. we got to transport it to Staten Island. Our friend Vito Fasella says there's a home there on Staten Island. we just got to get it from one of these cities that no longer want to show it publicly, but... They're putting it in a warehouse. Come on. You see, we not only report on the news, we not we don't only do a rip and read and give you commentary. We obviously help make the news in the positive. And, uh, John, who knows, maybe you'll be there to christen that Christopher Columbus statue. Well, how, if they're going to put up one in Staten Island, I will be there for sure. Yeah, well, what's your percentage of your DNA that's Italian? I'm 28% Italian. 60% uh, Macedonian Greek. Oh. And 6% Jewish. Macedonian Greek, Alexander the Great. Hey, where's Macedonian Phil? Anyway, we continue here. You know, Sid will be joining us, uh, I believe, at 840. And Governor Patterson, you're, you're, you're our friend. My husband-in-law. About 810, 815. Oh, this is good. You don't want to go anywhere. Right here at CNC, substituting for Sid Rosenberg. John Katsimatidis, Curtis Lee, right here on WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. We're back. Oh, this is a classic song. This could certainly apply. To so many politicians, Democrats and Republicans, blinded by the light. And you know what's going to happen tomorrow, Tuesday at 9 a.m., walking up the state, the steps of the House of Representatives. George Santos saying, reporting for duty, like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. He'll be there, I'm sure. Mr. Sen- he will see more cameras. I had uh, Rona uh, McDaniel, uh, the GOP chair, on a Sunday, and she says uh, he'll be there and he'll be allowed to vote. Wow. But, oh, boy, he's going to have to go through a phalanx of every paparazzi, every reporter. So are we going to have a, a doctor? Uh, are we going to have a uh, Kevin uh, for a speaker? Uh, Kevin McCarthy? That's not guaranteed. I'm wondering why. I mean, uh, it's been quiet. Well, the five. I mean, the Republicans really have to go commit suicide if they don't get that accomplished. Right, but you you can call them the five who are holding out. They don't want McCarthy. But you know there might be some arm-twisting, backroom deals taking place where all of a sudden the five— Well, on the $1.7 trillion omnibus— they gave away uh, uh, what was it? Four hundred billion. Four hundred bridges to nowhere. Yeah, bridges to nowhere. So much more, but uh, and then also there was. Uh, oh, what you saw in uh, Albany? They're giving away money we don't even have. Oh, they're giving it to the Teamsters. A ton of money. 
Was it eleven? No, that was the federal government. I'm sorry, it was the federal government. Yeah, but how uh, much was it? Sheesh, millions. Although now it doesn't. Thirty-six billion. Right, it doesn't matter because it's got to be billions and trillions. It's got to be a B or a T to matter. By the way, when are you going to become a trillionaire? You know, all of a sudden, the people who are billionaires. Not- well, look, I mean, uh, Elon Musk was way, you know, almost there. He was like at two hundred and fifty billion, and then what? He lost two hundred billion. They shot him down. Two hundred billion dollars. When we were kids, we didn't even know what a billion dollars was. Be a million dollars that was considered a fortune. Well, that friend of ours that was on the uh, uh, the show last Thursday or Friday, uh, John Cole, that was worried about our food production. Yes, he sent me a Christmas present or what? Where was it? A birthday present? It was a hundred trillion. Something or other. It was a bill. Like a note, yeah. From Zimbabwe or somebody. Oh, oh yeah, uh, Zimbabwe. <laughs> Mugabe, remember Mugabe? A hundred trillion. Took that country when it was run uh, under apartheid. Uh, I remember, I'm trying to remember the leader, the horrible leader. They got rid of apartheid. And then all of a sudden Mugabe comes in and he won't go. He wanted to be like a dictator for life. And as you said... There was like uh, ungodly amount. You talk about inflation. It, it destroyed the country economically. Thank God he finally died and went into the hereafter. But they still have huge economic problems. But I want to ask you, John, with all the people you've known and all the people you've held politically on both sides of the aisle, did you ever get the opportunity to go, especially a first inauguration of a sitting governor, which is normally the one everybody pays attention to when there's a transfer of power? I don't think I've ever gone to Albany for an inauguration. I've been to Washington for presidential inaugurations, uh, especially for, you know, my friend Bill Clinton, uh, but not Albany. Well, I went up to, uh, for George Pataki's first inauguration. It was in the Knickerbocker Arena. Place was packed because, you, you know, Republicans hadn't been there in a long time, so they en- enjoyed, you know, all the festivities that took place before and after but I remember there was a series of speeches, and then before you know it, it was time to get back on the Greyhound at the Albany bus station, a place you don't ever want to be stuck in, and back to the Port Authority in New York. My sense is... Is yet- that where Todd Shapiro is opening up that war room? <laughs> no, it's right near on Eagle Street, right near the governor's mansion, right before you hit the state capitol there. He should have done well yesterday. What, there were 5,000 people who were gathered? At least... You think it, was, it was, I mean, it was an exclusive. You have to be very exclusive to get a ticket to the inauguration. Now, I noticed that Tish James, the embattled attorney general, who would not uh, debate Michael Henry during the campaign, the only candidate not to do a debate, and uh, naturally she's uh, obsessed with uh, suing anything named Trump. Anything with the name Trump on it, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's his kids, whether it's his businesses, uh, she's on she was wearing this flaming red dress. You couldn't miss it. Very well designed. And I thought of two things, John, and you tell me which one. Nancy Reagan always used to wear a red dress. Remember when she would be with uh, Ronnie Reagan? Oftentimes a red dress. She was known for that. And then there was the woman with the red dress who was John Dillinger's last girlfriend. When the cops moved in on her, she gave it up. She said, yeah, we're going to the movies tonight. And by the time they came out, 
the lady with the red dress was there, and they shot John Dillinger. Uh, number one, FBI's most wanted list, number one criminal in America. They shot him like 52 times. He was dead well, on arrival. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover had his own hit squad. Yes, yes. But, boy, she stood out in that crowd, and she gave her speech. Uh, Schumer gave his speech. And then Kathy Hochul gave her speech. Delgado gave a speech. You know, Delgado is the absolute last person you want. God forbid anything happens. And Hochul cannot fulfill uh, serving out four years. Do you know how radical Delgado is? People realize how radical the lieutenant governor is who has chosen to replace the tainted and the corrupt Benjamin, uh, who's in all kinds of hot water because of uh, uh, campaign finance uh, regulations. Well, anyway, we're going to be having uh, David Patterson call in. Uh, He'll give us the skinny of what transpired up in Albany because it seems whenever anything is going on in Albany, David Patterson is always there. And my son is the beneficiary because he is David Patterson's uh, stepfather. So whereas during the campaign for the governorship, I had Anthony with me every time I was with Lee Zeldin, the congressman, you know, at the Dominican parade, different rallies, so he would learn from the Republican side. And then David Patterson, remember they had that tree planted in his honor right there in the yard on Eagle Street, the governor's mansion. And I'm looking at the pictures, and who's there with his stepfather, my husband-in-law? Anthony, who's an intern here, 18, proud. He does imaging. I better watch my backside because he may be replacing me here. You never know. You never know. But he's coming into his own, and I want to thank you, uh, John and Margo, for making his dream come true. He just loves radio. He loves everything about radio. And that's one of the great things here. We got a bunch of young people who are right out of high school. They're in college, and they're getting to make their bones in radio, which normally they never would have had that possibility because you know what they want to do all the time. If they go into journalist school or they go into media, uh, they want to go into TV. Oh, I want to go into TV. They learn more in radio because they get to do more things than they would ever get as an intern in TV. Because you know what they do in TV for interns? Go give me a cup of coffee. Sit over there in the corner, read the newspaper. And you might slowly learn something. Here, they get to learn everything. And then maybe they choose this career or other careers, but at least... They've had an opportunity to test the waters in uh, radio. So a lot of people don't realize about uh, about you with uh, uh, Margot and yourself. You've given a lot of young people an opportunity who go on to do things in radio. Never before dreamed they'd ever want to do anything in radio, but they fall in love with it when they work here. If they had the courage to get on the microphone and be able to talk, guess what? Right. The opportunity is here. You're building a bench here, John. Now. Speaking of what Hoka was talking about, it was nobody wanted to talk about it, but you as a businessman know, I as someone who ran for mayor know, we have this looming budgetary crisis at the state level. There will be $12 billion in the hole, and New York City will be $10 billion. There's no more money coming from Washington, no more stimulus money. How are they going to deal with this? This is... This can be draconian for the state with so many people leaving who are taxpayers, who are high enders. They're the ones that are going to Florida, Texas, Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. John, what would your advice be to Kathy Hochul about somehow trying to they got to balance the budget? Yeah, no, that's one my, thing you my have advice to do. Would be, look, uh, 
uh, Kathy Hochul. I've had a lot of pleasant meetings with her, and I agree with her in a lot of things, but I disagree with her in a few other things, uh, is that uh, you've got to stop the bleeding, number one. Why, you know, take a survey. Uh, why are people leaving the state? And stop the bleeding, because if the people that are paying the taxes are leaving, sooner or later you're going to run out of money. Well, her problem is, as you know, at the very beginning of the campaign against Lee Zeldin, remember that speech she gave? Go, go to Florida, leave. If you supported Trump, if you support Zeldin, if you supported Molinaro, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, leave. We don't need you. You don't belong in this state. And you know, John, people, they say, oh, you don't want me in the state? I'll go to a state that wants me, wants my income, wants the taxes that I pay, that I can uh, afford to give to the social services, uh, to the philanthropies that are in those states. And you once once you basically you give them the flea bag treatment, you can't roll out the red carpet again and say, you know, it was just during the campaign. I really didn't mean it. I mean, how many of your friends, John, are no longer here? They're no longer permanent residents. They have too left, many. Too left, many. And, and they're not just what we used to call snowbirds, you know, where they spend a few months in New York, a few months in Florida. I've seen so many of them just pick up and permanently decide that their place of business and their place of residence permanently is Florida. And look how much better Florida is doing. Our budget in New York City is more than for the entire state of Florida. Let me tell you. The budget for New York City and New York State put together, New York State, I think, is $240 billion. New York City is $100 billion. That's $340 billion. The, the entire budget of, of Florida is less than $100 billion. So, Incredible. I mean, there's, there's, there's a disparity someplace. And it seems to me no efforts to cut that. No efforts to cut this. No, we're up $10 billion. Well, you know, we used to have a financial control board. It's still active. It's in mothballs. But if things really get dire fiscally, we may have to revive it. On the line with us is the former governor of the state of New York, the former head of the Democratic Party of the state of New York, and one and a a current host on WABC and and, uh, one smart guy, David Patterson. I watched you on television and they interviewed you, and you did a great job up in Albany. Tell us what happened. Thank you, John. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Curtis. Happy New Year. So uh, this was not my first rodeo, John. The first gubernatorial inauguration I went to was 1978. It was the second term of Governor Hugh Carey. His new lieutenant governor was Mario Cuomo. The secretary of state was my father. All three of them went to St. John's Law School. And Louis Leskowitz was the attorney general, and Arthur Levitt was the controller. And the guest speaker that day was Martin Luther King Sr., the father of the great civil rights leader. What has surprised me over the years at these inaugurations is how much the speakers have shifted from talking about their vision, in other words, what they would like to accomplish, to talking about what they've already accomplished. Uh, Senator Schumer went through about nine things that, you know, you hear every time he gets up. And um, even the the uh, new uh, lieutenant governor, uh, Mr. Delgado, he talked about all the town meetings he had when he was lieutenant governor. I was just a little surprised. 
But uh, the most dynamic speaker there, I thought, was the Attorney General Tish James. She did talk about what she wants to accomplish. She did talk about what needs to be changed. And I thought she was the best speaker. They were all good. Now, Governor and, David Patterson, uh, you once again have made headlines. Every week you are a guest of John Katsimatidis, normally 8 to 10 uh, Sunday mornings. And I see once again you go to the New York Post. They picked up the interview that John had with you, and it says that you stated that Governor Kathy Hochul made an unforced error in picking moderate Hector LaSalle to the state's top judge uh, position. What do you mean an unforced error? Well, what I mean is that the governor's coming in now, and she's got, she really wants to address this crime issue. I know some of you don't think she does, but she really does want to address it. And so she's going to need the legislators' help. And she's going to have to compromise with them. So what I thought was at this particular time, uh, there had been a number of complaints from different groups, not about the the person selected. This is even before the selection about the process that they were using to select the judges. This was already a controversy. And so then to take a judge who would be viewed by the people she needs. See, I, if that's the judge she wants, it's fine with me. But, it, but the people who had to vote for her really have problems with this judge. I thought it just put her, put her in a difficult position then right, uh, but, but she just waited. I heard from John uh, through uh, his resource that she has already signed off on the pay increase, which has pissed the hell out of residents in New York the legislators are going from 110000 They've given themselves a $32,000 pay increase, won't deal with the no-cash bail issue and other issues. And she doesn't use this as leverage to say, hey, look, uh, this moderate judge has a stellar track record from Suffolk County. He's already running a, a very large court system. He's my choice. If you want that pay raise, we got a horse trade here. But, yeah. Curtis, how does she do both? How does she get the bail reform that she needs and she wants, and she gets uh, her judge in exchange for the for the pay raise? How does she get two for one? Well, I tell you, if she doesn't, she doesn't. have, if she, she doesn't, this is the problem when people are analyzing situations as opposed to being in them. It's that she's already in an untenable sort of position with them because they have veto-proof majorities, so. What I would have done if I was her would have picked one of the two, and I would have picked relief where crime was concerned. Well, do you, do you think she got one of the two, uh, and it hasn't been announced yet, and it was a handshake, unofficial deal? I mean, she had to get uh, something. She's not a dumb woman. She's a smart woman. And if she signed it before December 31, she signed it before midnight, then she's a smart lady. She had to get something. Well, uh, I, John, I don't know what's going on in, 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 in uh, you know, behind the scenes with her and the legislative leaders. What's your gut feeling? What, my gut feeling, I really don't know. In other words, I'm sort of, my gut feeling is that she sees uh, that the crime issue is the first thing she needs to really address. Now, she talked about it a little bit in the state of the state. Address. Versus her judge? Uh, the 
And why isn't the Hispanic community up in arms? Well, well, David Patterson, we're out of time, but can you call into the five? Minute, John, you asked me a question, I can't even answer it. Can, 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 can you call into the five o'clock show and tell us what the heck is going on? Maybe I will call into the five o'clock show, and I'll actually be back in New York. So maybe my thinking will be clearer by then. Okay, I look forward to seeing you or talking to you at five o'clock. David Patterson, the former governor of the state of New York, one smart guy. Thank you so much. This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. And this report is sponsored by the Seafire Grill. So more ridiculous spending from the budget bill. TSA, you know what the TSA is, the, uh, you know, the Transportation Security Administration is spending $18.6 million starting this month to deploy non-binary screening systems for gender neutral passengers traveling through U.S. airports. Wait Did a you second. Hear what I said? Hold on a second. <laughs> could, you, could you give me that number again? $18.6 million for people that are non-binary. These are people that they identify as they, them, X, and there's a bunch of other genders, but by not, the way. But anything other than female right, or male. Wait a second. They don't want their own bathrooms, yet they want their own screening procedures? I don't understand that. They should. Oh. They use uh, whatever bathroom they choose, right, which is okay according to the laws of most states. So why wouldn't they go through the same TSA pat-down procedures or going through the metal detectors the same way that a male would go or a female would go, depending on who they identify with? Well, apparently, when travelers assume that their genders that they prefer doesn't match their biological gender and that the person who's screening them would might be confused, they get patted down. So they're subject to more screenings as well. So the TSA apparently receives about 27,000 screening complaints annually with slightly over 6% from members of the LGBTQ plus community. Oh they even have their own website, webpage. The TSA has its own webpage dedicated to transgender, non-binary and gender non-conforming passengers traveling through the nation's airports and they say it's a tsa spokesperson said this is long overdue so we're not spending millions of dollars for border security well we are for border security for middle east countries but we're spending 20 million of your tax taxpayer dollars my taxpayer dollars that siphon from my check every single week for new security measures for non-binary people because like you said curtis like they don't want their own bathroom but they want their own screening maybe this is kind of a ploy for them to get be on shorter lines so i am now officially x or whatever so when i go to the airport i don't have to wait on the long security lines why don't they just have a sign xx chromosome here xy chromosome here and everybody else here so they have like three separate categories well, it is just two categories, XX and XY. There are certain people, maybe they're hermaphrodite or whatever, and they have like an extra chromosome. But that's it. Yeah, if you're so offended by pronouns, don't even have pronouns. Just say XX, XX here, XY there. But I swear. If well, what happened to triple X? Boy, this, I, I'm getting vertical. those down, John. Lydia, I'm getting vertigo from this. No, I'll never be able to get on a flight because I'll have vertigo before I even get on the plane. This is crazy. 
Well, if they have that non-binary line and it's really short, I'm raising my hands and I'm going to say I'm a man. That's it. That's it. How are they? <laughs> this is this goes from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, I imagine you're non-binary, but I want to use the men's bathroom. Okay. Or the woman's bathroom. Okay. No problem. But now you have to have your own separate line for the TSA. You're right. This is a way to shorten the process and to basically get ahead of everybody else. So here's the thing. How did the Republicans lose the election in the midterms? I mean, we won, you know, the the GOP won the uh, the, uh, Congress by, what, five, six, seven? Depending on how long Santos is there, you're right. (laughs) How did they lose the Where does common sense go? Is it that is it that the Republicans didn't? I mean, the Republicans are are blaming Trump because he endorsed people that theoretically couldn't win. So the Republicans are blaming him, and then the uh, Democrats. Who are they blaming? But as we all know, with George Santos. People aren't really investigating what the candidates stand for or who they are anyway in the first place. So on the one hand, I do want to blame Trump because I'm like, you know, he supported some fringe candidates. But on the other, as we saw with George Santos, a lot of voters don't even do their due diligence and find out who they're voting for. So I think it has more to do with abortion being passed, just several uh, making it illegal. You know, Roe v. Wade being overturned just a couple of weeks beforehand. I agree with Trump because he did say that. And I also think it's the amount of spending that was you know given to each candidate so there are a lot of factors it's easy to just blame trump as the boogeyman but i think uh i of course it played a part in it but i don't think it's 100 percent the cause i think uh because as you know i'm not a trumper Uh, people call me a rhino but i look at this as no president former president has ever endorsed as many candidates as donald trump did uh, both in 2016 in the aftermath or after 2020. Most presidents generally sit back and they might get involved in one or two races, you know, and they check the uh, the odds, the over-under point spread before they jump in. With Donald Trump, he jumps into all races. I've never seen a president yeah. before attach his right. name to so many candidates in so many places, people he knows for, for years, other people he doesn't know. So... The, John, when you're in this, when you're picking different candidates, you're going to lose some and you're going to win some. There's no way you're going to win all the races. No, but uh, I I still can't believe uh, that the Republicans lost uh, Pennsylvania. I can't believe that the Republicans lost Arizona. I mean, you know, look, look, you're, you're a resident of Arizona. And there's no border controls. And they're coming right through the borders with both fists. They're just John, coming through the borders. John, the and, ma- and the Republicans lose that race? The number two state with the most exodus is California. And you know the number one place they go to Texas. when they leave again? Nope. Yeah. They go to Arizona. And they vote and they vote Democratic. They exactly. Don't. They've turned ah. it into a purple state. That's the yeah, problem. When they leave California. They go to. Well, we got to wrap this up. And this report is sponsored by the Sea Fire Grill, right there in Midtown Manhattan. The best seafood, the best service, the best sides. You can't. Are they open very, today? You know what? I got to make a phone call, but they should be open. They well, should let us be know, open. Yesterday, I, will, I, I called three out. restaurants to find one that was open. Oh, let me find out. The C, so check it out, theseafiregrill.com, and I'm going to find out right now. I know the owner, so I'll message him and find out. <laughs> Thank you. Message me back, and I'll let people know. 
You got it. <laughs> Thank you, Lydia. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. This is a man's world. Man's world. Well, that's Sid's song. Man's world. In fact, uh, Sid Rosenberg, my wife, uh, who was here yesterday, she was walking around because it's quite empty here on New Year's. And she says, everywhere I look, there's a Sid Rosenberg photograph where he doesn't have his shirt on. How many photos do you have up here of yourself with no shirt on? Well, I haven't counted, but uh, last I looked, there's probably four or five, Curtis, and that, uh, that makes uh, the morning show all the more exciting, don't you agree? Yeah, I never, I never noticed it because, you know, normally, uh, normal day, a lot of people were here. She actually said, oh, my God, there's like five of them everywhere. Did you position <laughs> them strategically throughout the WABC facility? I had nothing to do with that. That is our social <laughs> media crew, our marketing crew. They go, not only do we have a great morning show, but we've got the sexiest morning show host in America. Let's flip it. So uh, thanks to those folks. And on a serious note, uh, John and Curtis, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to all of, uh, of our great listeners. And 2023 promised to be a very, very exciting year for WABC. But a melancholy morning for me, guys, because about two and a half hours ago, John, you can appreciate this. I dropped my daughter, Ava, off at Kennedy Airport. And, uh, you know, when she went to college back in September, guys, I knew it was going to be about four months till I saw her again around Christmas. Now we're looking at about six months. Wow. She'll be back in June. And uh, we cried for about 15 minutes. It's funny. There was a Japanese couple standing next to us, also going to London. And they started to cry just watching me, Danielle and Ava. So very, very <laughs> tough morning. But happy for her. Exciting going back to college in Wales. But, uh, John, you talk about keeping your kids close, man. This was a very, very tough morning. I, I know. That's very, very tough. I made sure my kids went to, to college in uh, Manhattan. No, you were smart. But I tell you what, while she was here, we had such a great time. And, you know, John, on a Saturday night, I did something, guys, I had never done before in my life. And that is New Year's Eve. We actually went to the ball drop in Times Square. And I'll tell you why, because uh, the house back in Rockaway was flooded so badly that my house had to be demolished uh, last week. I'm not even kidding. Demolished? What are you talking about, demolished? I mean, they've taken down, John, all the walls, and uh, the carpeting had to be ripped up. The floors had to be replaced. The water damage was actually worse than we thought. Wow. So looked, looked, Where are you yeah, staying? In the city, uh, about five blocks away from the actual studios. <laughs> so here we are in midtown Manhattan, only a couple blocks away from the, the ball drop in Times Square. And I get a call from Michael Butler, who works for the NYPD, and he said, Sid, I know you're in the city. Would you like to go tonight? to watch the ball drop. The mayor is going to be there. The NYPD will take good care of you. Uh, we've got our own pen for the Wounded Warriors on 44th and 6th. So I asked Ava and Gabe, and they were very excited about it. And so, Curtis and John, for the first time ever, the Rosenbergs this year watched the ball drop live from Times Square. i got to tell you, I said I would never do it living in New York. It was a great, great time. It's a special night in New York, and everybody should do it. They didn't let you go up to the top and, and knock it down? No, they did, actually. I actually co-hosted uh, one of the uh, segments with Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, you're, no, you're lighting the menorah. You're, you're, you're dropping the uh, the ball on, on New Year's. What's next? 
Oh, I don't know. I tell you what, John, it's all because of you, because I lived here for 30-plus years. I never lit the big menorah on Fifth Avenue. I never watched the ball drop. In fact, I thought that was kind of like not a New York thing to do. And now that I've done all of that, I can't wait to do it again. You know, I don't think people realize how special this city is. We get so caught up in the crime and the dirt and the homeless and all the negativity. And there's plenty of it. Trust me, plenty of it. Things need to be fixed in 2023. There's no doubt about it. But there's a lot that goes on in this city that's really special. It separates us from every city in the world. And now we've experienced all of that this last month. And my family loved it. And New York is still the greatest city in the world, I'll tell you that. Now, Sid, uh, for those that may have been away last week, when you told us how the pipes had burst in your house and now you've given us an an advance uh, report that it's uh, ruined everything, could you go back? That was during that Arctic snap when it was like uh, 20 degrees below zero, right? That's exactly right, Curtis. Uh, The last show that I did was on Friday. December the 23rd. In fact, my son Gabriel co-hosted that day. My mom was on. It was a great show. And we went back to Rockaway that afternoon, John and Curtis, and we couldn't even get on the ferry. They shut the ferry down because of the rain and the wind. But the cold did not set in until later on that night, you may remember. We dropped 45 degrees in one day on that Friday. By Saturday morning, it was minus 9 degrees by me on the beach at Rockaway. We had no water on Saturday morning, so we knew the pipes froze. And then sure enough, come Sunday, Christmas Day, Every floor in my house, it was coming down like Niagara Falls. Two pipes burst. We couldn't stop the water from coming in. And in the end, we thought maybe we did some damage, not too much, but we did more than we thought. And like I said, now we're living in the city for the next week while they blow out my house and hopefully fix it in about a week or two. And it'll be better than ever. That's the good news. But right now, it's very difficult. We're in the city. Ava's on the way back to college. I'm back at work tomorrow. I just want to know, you're in a city, in a hotel. Who has better hotel conditions, the migrants or Sid Rosenberg? The migrants. (laughs) (laughs) The migrants have $700 a day rooms. You know, don't laugh, John, because when this happened, Danielle was on the phone with the insurance company, and she couldn't find a hotel room. And I swear to God, she goes, wait a second. You're telling me the migrants can stay at the Ritz, at the Waldorf, any place they want, and I can't get a hotel room for my family, and we live in New York City? What's going on here? So we actually used the migrant line, ended up in a very nice hotel about five blocks away from the studios. Now, have you finally learned as, uh, as a proud Jewish man that at times you have to humble yourself and ask the Goyim for advice? Your Irish friends out there in the Irish Riviera would have told you, hey, Sid, Turn the faucet on, turn the tub on, run the water during the cold snap, and your pipes won't burst. Yeah, here's the bad news for you, Curtis. I actually got that advice. We actually did that, and we were running the cold water, believe it or not, when, in fact, the deluge started. <laughs> so, so we did get that advice. We took that advice. It just didn't matter. I mean, the house is like 90 years old. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous home. We love it there. But it's an old home, you know, and those uh, pipes have never been uh, fixed. We've got some insulation, not enough. And we uh, came to find, by the way, John and Curtis, that's a lot of homes in my community that went through the same thing, even homes that were updated after Sandy that also had pipe freeze. So it was not exclusive to the Rosenbergs, I can tell you that. But it has been a, a rough, a rough 10 days. But, again, you know, Times Square, New Year's Eve with the family, Christmas with the family. Ava had a great time when she was here. Gabriel's been loving this trip. So all in all, even with the negativity, it's been a great holiday, and I'm looking forward very much getting back to work tomorrow morning.
You know, Sid, uh, we've talked uh, a lot about Lester Chang, how the Democrats don't want to seat him in the assembly because they're challenging his residency. Uh, and they put off that decision after an 150-page report. They, they won't make that decision. But your great friend, your hero who lives out there with his great family, Tom Sullivan, is behind by, John, one vote in the assembly race. He had been ahead by 300 votes. They still haven't made a decision. It's like, are you kidding? This one assemblymanic district... And he still doesn't one know? Vote? One well, listen, vote? Well, listen, it, it, one vote right now is as good as one million. And I will tell you, talking to the Sullivan family, John and Curtis, uh, Curtis, you know, as often as I do, I speak to Mike Sullivan just about every day. And the brothers, Brian and Danny, I mean, they, they own Breezy Point. Uh, they knew once they stopped the votes that night with Sullivan up 300 votes, they knew eventually it was a fait accompli he was going to lose. So, he was up about 80 votes. Then you may remember, Curtis, he was up three votes. Now he's down one vote. That one vote doesn't matter. It, it, was, it was in the books. It was rigged. She was going to win Stacey Amato no matter what, even though Tom Sullivan really won. And they're going to take this from him. One vote, 100 votes, it doesn't matter. That night you knew once they stopped it, 98% of the votes in, he's up 300 votes. They just stopped counting for no reason. No reason. You knew they were going to steal it, and sure enough, John, they're on the way to stealing it. Democrats have told me, people that I've known, Democrats have said there's no better or nicer man in all of politics than Tom Sullivan. They said to, to, to campaign against him, he is the most honorable of men. Uh, he never says a bad word. You know, he, he always just he does his job of campaigning. And they took the election. I'll say it if nobody else will. They stole the election from him. There's yeah, no doubt they about stole it. it. No, they, they stole, stole it. it. He's a great man. Like you said, I mean, look, John Curtis, this guy served in Iraq. This guy served in Afghanistan. This guy served in Kuwait. Happened to be there on 9-11 and literally threw bodies over his shoulder. He saved about six people that morning while the buildings were coming down. How many people can you say that about? Served in three different countries. A decorated war hero. And saving lives on 9-11. And he's going to lose to some, some lady whose father happened to be a judge and whose mother happens to be a county clerk. I mean, nepotism with a capital N. What they're doing to Tom Sullivan and Lester Chang is disgusting. But that's politics, folks. That's why, John Curtis and, uh, and our listeners, that's why we get the big bucks. Because uh, it, it's, it's crooked, it's nasty, but it's exciting. Not for Tom Sullivan today, but folks are, are, uh, are invested in this. And right now, 22 months away on the big election in 2024, what better place to follow it than WABC? And think of it, with all the greatness of Lester Chang, war hero, Tom Sullivan, war hero, tomorrow, welcome to Mr. Uh, welcome to Washington, Mr. George Santos. He will be sworn into office. It is unbelievable. He, you know, for, for some uh, Democrats and Republicans, he's the gift that keeps giving it. And John, I know you know George pretty well, but unbelievable. No, George Santos, I, I only met him once. Oh, you only met him once? I, I met I him once, and my daughter, my daughter uh, invited me to a fundraiser she was having, and you know, how many times you said no to your daughter? Never. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and listen, we had I him actually, on the show. I, I actually contributed to Zimmerman. I saw that. I saw that. Look, we had Santos on, me and Bernie, God rest Bernie's soul. That was the one tragic uh, moment in 2022, and his name lives on forever in those studios you're in right now. But we had him on when we thought he won four years ago, and they took it from him. 
John and Curtis, like they're doing to Lester Chang and Tom Sullivan right now. Then he comes back four years later, and he does win, and it turns out his whole campaign was a big sham. So he is a very interesting guy, but yes, uh, despite the, the heroics of people like Tom Sullivan and Lester Chang, George Santos gets the win. Those guys staring at a loss. But, but I tell you what, guys, very exciting for me coming back tomorrow and for lots of our listeners. How about the football giants blowing out the Colts yesterday in New Jersey and now for the first time in six years back in the playoffs, whether they're going to play Minnesota or San Francisco, how exciting the New York football giants playing postseason football uh, for me and a lot of our listeners, that's a very exciting thing coming up in a couple now, of weeks. Now, I, I, I must uh, differ with you, Sid. I'm a Giant fan, too. But what I saw on the gridiron, when they leveled the Indianapolis uh, Colt quarterback, and then the Giant went on the ground like he was doing jumping jacks, I I thought that was so out of place. Oh, get out of here. He didn't even know. That was Thibodeau. He sacked Nick Foles. He had no idea Foles was laying there 10 feet away, writhing in pain. The Colts are a bunch of babies. This is football. Guys get hit. Guys get hurt. He had no idea Thibodeau Foles was that was that injured that seriously. I don't want to hear it, okay? Giants haven't had, had a great team in a long time. A lot of lousy seasons. That's part of the game. So I'm sorry, Curtis, but if you're looking for sportsmanship in a very emotional game like that with the playoffs on the line, not going to happen. The Real fans really get emotional. Yeah, <laughs> real fans get emotional. No, no, right. he, him, John. he's a, him. he's emotional because he couldn't be watching all the games, the NCAA semifinals, the NFL action at home out in the Irish Riviera. You had to share a room with an illegal alien. That's true, and then he watched the game with me. He actually, he actually made my bed and then cleaned the room afterwards, and we watched the game together. I tell you what's good about staying in the city, though, guys. Tomorrow night. I'm taking Gabriel to the Rangers hockey game, and it's only about nine blocks away from my hotel room. So we're going to enjoy New York City this week. We're thinking about going to the Knicks game at some point later on today, Ranger game tomorrow night. So while we're here, we're going to enjoy You're it. back. Hey, listen, with all the issues, that's right, John, with all the issues in New York, you know this, as do you, Curtis, living on the Upper West Side, this is still the greatest city in the world. And it's all because, Curtis, of my friend, the mayor, Eric Adams. Fanabla. <laughs> Now, we talked about with Curtis, uh, Sid, we talked about with Curtis, that guy with the uh, uh, Times Square. Oh, yeah. In Times Square, you mean the uh, the jihadist who attacked the three cops, uh, almost killed them with his machete. He came down from Maine and he had declared jihad against New York, but took it out on the first three people he saw wearing blue uniforms, the NYPD cops. Thank thank God they survived. He got shot. Unfortunately, he lives. He didn't jump on the Paradise Express and zoom himself well, up to our side. somebody cops shoot to kill? I mean, you know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, you got to kill that guy. But I'll tell you what, what, about that story. So my son Gabriel, John and Curtis, was a little hesitant when it came to going to Times Square because he's aware of the crime issues here in New York and, he was nervous, you know, a million-plus people in one place. And we got to really convince him to go. And it was about 11.35 p.m., about 25 minutes away from the ball dropping and all, all chaos breaking loose. And we actually had our phones. We got the messages, me and Danielle, about this machete attack. And my wife it was stupid what she did. She showed the phone to Gabe and Ava. So Gabe started freaking out. I had to kind of bring him back so he was able to celebrate at midnight. But... We were aware of the machete attack standing right there 25 minutes before the ball dropped. 
Well, we welcome you back tomorrow, same time, same place, Sid Rosenberg and friends, and twice a week uh, at 7.05 in the mornings, Monday and Friday, if you keep me on going into the new year, you're full. You're full. But welcome back, Sid Rosenberg. Well, thank you. we got a big show tomorrow, just letting you guys know. It'll be Rich Lowry, it'll be Bo Deedle, it'll be Anthony Scaramucci, and the mayor himself, Eric Adams, also to join us tomorrow with Phil Sims and Lawrence Taylor stopping by this week as well. Happy New Year, John. Happy New Year, Curtis. I'm Happy New Year. To tomorrow. Can't wait. Happy New Year. I love you guys. Thank you. Hmm. He's back, John. You're going to be able to go back to what you were doing. I'm going to be able to go back to what I was doing. And uh, well, we did have fun. Oh, we had great fun. Great fun. Great guests. Great discussion. And remember, live and local. Some other stations here, our competitors, are doing best of. But as you know, that's always worst of. This is your place to be. 77 AM WABC. Listen, 24-7-365. And if you miss us on the sly, just get it on the podcast at WABCradio.com. And stay tuned for the 9 o'clock hour. We have Roger Stone. And you never know what happens with Roger Stone. And bitterness. Oh, you're my best friend. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. You've restored respect to the most iconic call letters in the history of radio, John Katsimatidis, when you saved us from the scrap heap. WABC has become everyone's place to be and a regular guest all through the years, through the ups and downs and all around, especially at night, the other side of midnight with Frank Morano has been Roger Stone. When nobody else could get or reach Roger Stone, oftentimes he would make a special exception for WABC for Frank and everyone here. He once again joins us in this uh, new year. Welcome, Roger. Curtis, it is great to be back with you. Roger, always good to hear your voice. Great to be with you guys. They put you through hell, but you're, you're standing up. Well, I'm just warming up. I must tell you, uh, it's not a great experience to be a uh, victimized in a political witch hunt, but uh, thanks to the power of Jesus Christ and my faith and many, many, many friends, like two guys on this show, uh, I'm still here and I'm moving forward. Uh, Roger, you had a big announcement yesterday. Tell us about the announcement. Well, back in 2008, John, uh, a man named uh, Mr. Blackwell would always produce uh, an international best and worst dress list And it it always was a big deal. And when I read, uh, and I always enjoyed reading it, when I read that he had passed away, I picked up the tradition. So yesterday, for the 14th year, one year off, the year I was gagged by a federal judge and unconstitutionally not allowed to publish the list, I put forward my own uh, 14th annual international best and dressed uh, people's list. Now, it's very important that even though I come from the world of politics, 
this list is not political, meaning uh, it's not ideological, it's not partisan, and it includes both Democrats and and Republicans, liberals, and conservatives uh, on both the best and the worst dressed categories. Well, let's go with the uh, best, Roger Stone. I mean, I think Sid Rosenberg is trying to find the list to make sure he's on it. Oh, yeah. He he loves Joseph Aboud, but uh, uh, I got to tell you, just watching you and the many appearances you make, you don't just wear suits. You wear suits that are customized in a way where you say, where the hell did he get that from? Well, everybody has to kind of develop their own personal look. But the way I look at it is, if all the world is a stage, shouldn't you always be in costume? Uh, so <laughs> leading my list leading my list for the for best dressed, a woman who I think took a lot of abuse, woman who should have been on the cover of Vogue many times over four years, Melania Trump, without question, the best dressed first lady since Jackie Kennedy. Wow. Holy chic, always chic, uh, always appropriate, always tasteful. Uh, without any question whatsoever, the very best. You're absolutely uh, right, Roger. I mean, they, they, you know, her husband was the president. Why take it out on her? I couldn't understand that. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Now, I have to admit it. I had to choose between Eric Adams and Joe Biden. Out of respect for you, Curtis, I went with Joe Biden. Now, a lot of my conservative <laughs> friends are going to give me a hard time about that, but I want you to notice very carefully. Joe Biden's choice of neckwear is always right on the money. This guy has the most most tasteful tie collection I've ever seen. And I got to be honest with you, I even like the aviator glasses. FDR had his cigarette holder. Lyndon Johnson had his cowboy hats. Joe Biden has his aviators. I don't think he's doing a great job as president. That's not, not what this is about. I do think he's a great dresser. Now, these... Uh men who have made your list, are they suits that they wear off the rack or are they custom made for them? I think it's a, I think it's a combination. It's very interesting that WABC actually has two different uh, people on the list who are on uh, your network. I mean, first of all, Greg Kelly, uh, you know, the, uh, the Newsmax commentator, also at WABC. It's very interesting about a year and a half ago, he said on social media he was thinking of taking on the authorship of this list on an annual basis. And I texted him immediately, told him he could have it as soon as I was dead. <laughs> now, course, quick judge, question, quick judge, question. Now that you mention sure. you are almost dead, I have it on very good authority that you were in Memphis, Tennessee, not far from Elvis's mansion, on your way to do an interview with uh, the Pillow Man. And all of a sudden, an 18-wheel tractor trailer came by and T-boned you in your SUV. True or not true? Absolutely true. Now, it wasn't an 18-wheeler, but it was a uh, it was a Ford Tough pickup truck, and we did get to T-boned. The car I was riding, it was totaled. Both of the uh, security guys I was with were injured. I had to go to the hospital. I walked away literally without a scratch. Uh, so the Lord is with me. I am protected. It, it was not a great experience, uh, but it is absolutely true. This was the day after the election. Uh, I put it up on Twitter a couple of days ago, and uh, the outpouring of people with good wishes has been very 
very heartening. So not only did I get a commutation of sentence when I was falsely convicted of a crime, not only did I get an unconditional pardon, not only is my wife, who was diagnosed not long ago with stage four cancer, in total remission, uh, but on top of it all, I I walked away from death uh, in an accident only days ago. It's a great time to be alive. Now, did the uh, driver stop, or was it a hit and run? Curtis, I'm not saying just because the guy was wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt that he was in Black Lives Matter. (laughs) I'm not saying that just because he had a copy of Karl Marx's Das Kapital in the front seat of his truck, that that means that he was a communist. No, I'm kidding. Uh, You know, I just think it was some poor guy just not paying attention. Uh, He was uninjured, I'm happy to say. A lot of damage to his truck. Uh, the emergency uh, uh, services guys showed up immediately. It's one of those odd things. I was not wearing a seatbelt, and the technician told me it was was one of those very, very rare conditions because of how and where he hit the car. Now, Uh, I would have thought— If I'd been wearing the seat, I probably would have been injured. uh, Because at that particular time, things were percolating between the guy that you were the first and only one to tell him to run for president time and time again, even when others were trying to get him to run for governor of the state of New York against Andrew Cuomo. How do we know this wasn't a guy who was sent by DeSantis? I mean, DeSantis, uh, you know, he comes from a long Italian family, the same town that produced Rudy Giuliani. How do you know it wasn't a message to you, Roger? Well, since I am, as you know, Sicilian myself, I think that's anti-Italian defamation right there is what that is. Being Sicilian, that means you're 50% Greek, you know. Uh, uh, I, I accept. You know, here's the things people don't know about Ron DeSantis. He should, and he, it'll probably be on next year's list. Ron is 5'8". Ron wears these four-inch Cuban heels to make him look much taller. There's a little little trade circuit, a secret for you. No, I think the, I think the incident in Memphis was an accident. Uh, and I deal, really do thank the Lord for being alive. Who, who's on your worst dress list? Now, this that, is I want to see that. I want to see that. Uh, this is this is uh, pretty easy. Not that hard to do. Senator-elect John Fetterman. The New York Times says that he is one of the most 91 most stylish people in America. I've never seen it, the guy wearing anything other than a hoodie and cargo shorts. I mean, he dresses like a skateboarder. Uh, It is interesting that the cowl of his hoodie hides this kind of odd growth that he has on the back of his neck. This guy is a very strange guy. He is not stylish uh, in any way. Has has anybody figured out—well, we're not going to talk politics, but has anybody figured out how this guy won? But we'll we'll leave that for another day. Well, John, it's, it's it's Pennsylvania. So in Philadelphia, yes, there are precincts where more people voted than are registered to vote. It's an old tradition in Philadelphia. Uh, Jill Biden, Jill Biden, uh, not as well dressed as her husband. To me, her dresses always look like they're made out of curtains or a tablecloth or maybe even a rug. <laughs> she has the, this choice of bold, kind of cheap-looking prints. It's just not good for her. Um, she she just doesn't measure up to her husband. She ends up on this year's worst dressed list. 
Now, you know, we let's go back to the hoodie and Fetterman and the fashionista statement. You do realize that Eminem, Slim Shady, who really put the whole look of a hoodie on the map, is now AARP like a lot of the rappers there, over 50. This has become the look of a lot of guys who have not evolved beyond uh, when they were in their 20s or 30s. I see increasingly more and more men in their 50s wearing hoodies like Fetterman. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad look. It's the same essential look as Samuel Bankman Freed. You know, this guy is always wearing a cheap T-shirt <laughs> and, and khakis. I think very soon he'll be wearing an orange jumpsuit, but that's a different question. Uh, you, you've seen that same look. He's not on this year's list. I think he was on a previous list, Mark Zuckerberg. The guy's a billionaire, maybe one of the richest guys on the planet. He, he can't afford a suit. I mean, it, it's unbelievable, which leads me to Volodymyr Zelensky. We give the guy $100 billion for his war in Ukraine in violation of a treaty we signed in 94, but we won't go into politics. The guy shows up for a joint session of Congress, and he's wearing a green combat sweatshirt. Well, he must be on your list. (laughs) He is on the worst list. Uh, It is unbelievable to me. It kind of reminds me of when Fidel Castro went to the U.N. uh, to address the U.N. in the late 50s in war fatigues. But then I noticed that Zelensky, when when he addressed the World Economic Forum, He puts on a suit and tie. But remember, he's an actor. He was an actor before he was president. There's nothing wrong with that. Ronald Reagan was an actor. The only thing wrong with that would be if he was an actor paid by a bunch of oligarchs to act like a president. But I, of course, have no proof that that's true. Well, he was the king of all comedy uh, in the Ukraine. He was the number one comedian. Now, uh, again, if I can, I want to go back to the race in Pennsylvania. Now you got to get a little political. I observed it very closely, like everyone did, because Pennsylvania tried in our backyard. I think the mistake of Dr. Oz, and I know you were there in the beginning, John, was when he was asked, why do you have two passports? Because he has a passport from the country of Turkey, Erdogan, and a passport from the country of the United States, President Biden. He said... I'll give up that Turkish passport if I get elected to the U.S. Senate. Now, there are a lot of people who are somewhat suspicious of Muslims to begin with. Dr. Oz happens to be a Muslim. But when you say you're going to run for a U.S. Senate seat in a state in which you have so many different types of people having had choice in the Republican primary and then between you and Fetterman, and you say you're not going to give up your Turkish citizenship, I think that made it a bit rough for him in the beginning. Just my personal thoughts, Roger. That plus living in New Jersey, I think the combination of the two were uh, probably devastating. By the way, very well-dressed guy. Didn't seem to make any difference whatsoever. It's interesting that um, I got a call yesterday when the list published from a very nice lady in Pennsylvania told me that she was a tailor uh, at a certain store, men's store, where Fetterman recently showed up to buy some clothes for his stint in the U.S. Senate, and she asked me a very odd question. She said, he was very nice, but did you know he is completely deaf? I said, really? How could that be? She said, 
I don't know, but we had to communicate by writing notes back and forth. He's completely deaf. Anyway, we wish him well. We wish him well, but he's going to have to wear a suit and a tie. It, it is the rule, by the way, of the U.S. Senate that you cannot, a gentleman cannot go on the floor unless he's wearing a jacket and tie. Wow, I didn't know that. Now, what about Jim Jordan, who, when he does interviews, he always is without jacket. Um, he would have to wear a jacket in the well of the house, right? That is my understanding. Uh, he, but I've never seen the guy at a TV interview in which he's wearing a suit jacket. You know, it's interesting. When Reagan was president of the United States, Rob, the great Ronald Reagan, and he worked in the Oval Office, he would never take his jacket off. He said that it would be disrespectful to the office. Now, now you compare that with a, with a John Fetterman, for example. Uh, it, it's really mind-blowing. Uh, the guy who dresses uh, slovenly is the, new, uh, is the new black, I guess. Now, I Roger, we're, we're coming up on a break. You got to tell people where we're going to see this list. They can go to uh, rogerstone.substack.com. Rogerstone.substack.com. Or they can tune in today at 5 o'clock Eastern at stonezone.live and see a full discussion. Do appreciate it, Roger Stone. Uh, Although you definitely. 5 o'clock, you're competing with me, Roger. We're we're head-to-head. God bless you. There's one pissed-off person, though, who's listening intently. You know who that was, Sid Rosenberg. The moment he heard, oh, the fashionista list that comes out every year by Roger Stone, and he didn't make the cut with his Joseph Aboud selection. Well, 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 Sid, you got something to shoot for in the next year. As we continue here, Sid will be back tomorrow. Sid and friends. But yours truly, Curtis Lee, and John Katsimatidis, set to take you the rest of the way. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Beautiful song. Absolutely. Beautiful, Beautiful song. Doo-wop, acapella. Yeah. Man. Oh, I love that music. I listen in to Cousin Brucey on Saturday night. I love that music. Oh, no doubt. And if you don't catch it with Cousin Brucey, you catch it with Tony Orlando. And boy, before that, the new Prince of Staten Island, Vinnie Madugno. By the way, uh, John, I did the disco. I was the DJ yeah, we with have Vinnie. Replay on that. Yep. Oh, yeah, your well, wife was very interested in that, uh, Margot Katzenmatidis. I'll make sure you get a copy of it. But I see, I'm looking at my uh, copy of Vanity Fair's Top 100 New Yorkers. Uh, I got a magnifying glass here. I can't see my name anywhere in here. But, John, I see your number 10. I am. I never bought it. Number 10. And I see our next guest is also on the list. Well, we have with us uh, a real success story, a real immigrant success story. Uh, we have Peter Gumares, and uh, he came in from Portugal. Uh, and uh, he's uh, the owner uh, of a, a beachy restaurant, a very famous restaurant. He came uh, in, let's say, well, let's find out from him. Uh, how are you? Uh, happy Good morning. New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Let's uh, let's. Uh, You're let's an immigrant success story. 
Uh, you know what? There's always a different levels of success, but I like to think I've made my own mark. And, uh, you know, I thank God that I had the opportunity to come here to the best country in the world and also the best city in the world. Manhattan's my home. Do you have a green card? No, I'm actually a U.S. citizen. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So I'm not, I'm not getting deported anytime soon. <laughs> uh, tell us, uh, I understand you're mad as heck about some of the things happening in New York. You're opening up businesses in New York. You, you worry about New York. And we're all worried because, you know, uh, we love New York. And Curtis loves New York. I love New York. You love New York. Tell us about your, your, your gripes. Well, I tell you, you know, I grew up coming into the city when I was a little kid trying to sneak into the nightclubs. Then I got involved in the nightclub business at an early age in my 20s, a famous nightclub in the city. So, you know, I've been coming in and out of the city for many years. I own a restaurant. I'm opening up two more restaurants, uh, Madison and here in 56, and I have a restaurant on 55th. Beach A Restaurant has been in New York City since 1982. So we've seen a lot of changes in the city. Are you going to go in competition with our friends at Patsy's Restaurant on 56th Street? Ah, there's enough room for everybody. We got uh, 8 million people. We had 3 million visitors just on uh, New Year's Eve. We got just enough Italian food for everybody. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I'm worried about the city. You know, I've seen the changes. I loved the era when Giuliani came in. He cleaned up Times Square. He got rid of the five families. You know, life was good. Then we had eight years of this communist who ruined and took the city a uh, different direction. And now we got this guy who's absolutely missing. He's done nothing for the city. Crime is still up 16%. He's, he's nowhere to be found. He hasn't done one piece of legislation. He hasn't done one thing to improve the quality of life in Manhattan. And, you know, well, we had high hope for him because he was a, a cop. I'm very pro-cop. I'm friends with the chief. I'm, I have a lot of the, the blue that come and eat at my place. I love the blue. But this guy's been a real disappointment. And you know what? If you look at his history, somebody brought this to my attention. If you look at his system when he was a police, he's had the lowest arrest record out of almost anybody in his graduating class. So now, it's basically a trend in his life where he doesn't do anything. Now, Peter, uh, as a businessman, there's a lot of empty space, a lot of empty retail space, storefronts galore. What needs to be done to get the brick-and-mortar stores leasing to tenants or renting to tenants? Because we see we've got these pop-up weed stores that obviously landlords will take the money wherever they can get it. Sure. But that, that that's not the answer to this dilemma. How, how do we get these stores back up and open, whether they're restaurants, bars, or retail establishments? You know what? It, it, there's a lot of solutions, but one easy solution is this city needs to – reduce the red tape for business people. It took me almost a year to get a liquor permit, right? It shouldn't take you a year to get a liquor permit. I have restaurants all over South Florida. It's very quick to get a liquor permit. The health department, it takes months and months and months just to get a health inspection so you can open up. There's so much red tape. There's so much bureaucracy in this city that this administration, this city needs to ease back and make it easier for people to open up businesses in New York. You know that saying, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere? It's because the bureaucracy in this city is so horrible. They actually tie your hands. They make it difficult for you to open up a business in New York City. That was that would be the first thing I would do. I would get in there and well, safety, bureaucracy, place. safety in the streets is very important. But I guess you carry a big Rocky Calavito bat. Yeah, you have to. I mean, let's go back to the days when Sliwa used to uh, 
be on the streets protecting us New Yorkers. You know, we don't have that. And it's an easy fix. You know, it's not rocket scientists. Grab 10,000 freaking police officers and throw them in the subway. The crime's going to go away. Let's get more Mountie police throughout Times Square and throughout Midtown. No, wait, 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 wait. The government is doing more important things. They're getting 87,000 IRS agents. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And they get to carry a gun while you and I, we have to go pull favors and beg people just to get a permit to protect ourselves. Now, nah, this country, you know what? I never thought I would leave this country, but if it starts going down the path that it is with the Biden administration, I might just go back to the motherland. I mean, right, but now, but now, Peter, as a success, you are an immigrant success story. You came from Portugal. We have a lot of uh, migrants now coming to our country who are not legal. Uh, they're filling up the hotels at taxpayers' expense. What has to be done with them? Because they are a drain on our budget. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing we can do at the local level, but, you know, the federal government needs to close these borders down. You know, they're doing it just for tricks and who has. They want to get these immigrants in, so hopefully they'll vote for Democratic. When I think they're going to see in reality, it's going to be the total opposite because these people are coming from communist countries. They're coming from countries that, you know, have no have no regulation on on people, and I don't. I think it's going to backfire in their face. But the first thing you got to shut down the border, shut it down. I was a big fan of Trump and uh, the wall. Uh, you know, we came over. We came over legally. You know, we had to go through our process. We had to stand in line. We had to go to well, the court. We when had my to take when my father came over in 1949, his two brothers had to sign that if he couldn't afford to pay the rent, they have to pay it. Yeah, you have to have a sponsor. My dad, we have to be sponsored, and then my dad sponsored his uncle, his brother, for coming over. Yeah, that's how it used to work. Now he, he, all you have to do is have a heartbeat, and you get in. Well, remember, in 1954, they closed Ellis Island. That was generally the entranceway for a lot of the uh, immigrants, and your sponsors had to show up on Ellis Island, or they weren't going to release you into well, the United funny, States. Funny story. I said to my, I took my father to Ellis Island. And I said, Pop, look around. Does it look familiar? And he moans. Pop, look around. Does it look familiar? Moans. I said, what are you moaning about? He says, I came in Idlewild Airport. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we came over on a TWA, so I'm not really familiar with Ellis Island except for taking selfies in front of the statue. Just uh, just, to use edification, John knows what Idlewild is. I know what Idlewild is, but these young huckleberries here. All right, all right. You know, <laughs> Idlewild, after Kennedy uh, was assassinated, they changed the name of Idlewild Airport to JFK Airport at the request of Jackie Kennedy. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Well, there used to be an Idlewild Diner on 42nd and 11th back in the day. I don't know if that was named after... Uh... The same thing you're talking about. But I remember that diner. It was right across. It was right next to the club that we used to own. Well, Peter Gumara's uh, best of luck as you push forward with your entrepreneurial pursuits. We need a lot more guys and gals like you taking a risk on the city, coming back. Uh, people like John, people like yourself, and so much more. So have a happy new year out there. Happy same, new year. Thanks to you and your family, and uh, let's keep trucking forward. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And, you know, we have we have a Brooklyn diner on 57th Street, John. It's yeah. not in Brooklyn. It's, it's not it's in, in Brooklyn. It's Man- in Manhattan. And it's, I think it's another one on 43rd Street. <laughs> anyway, when we come back, we got to wrap it up because uh, the CNC team, 
will no longer be oh, here the in the morning. Team. That's right, CNC. Captain Matidi, Sid Curtis. going to be back. That's right, he'll be back uh, starting tomorrow. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. That's passable, Diego. That's passable. Although tomorrow, you know, you'll have to go into full concerto mode when the full uh, Sid and Friends crew is back with Lou on the boards. Justin Ellick is producer. Obviously, Macedonia Phil is here. But, uh, John, I just want to relate to our audience because they may not realize what you've been able to do, how you've transformed this uh, station. When Don Imus was doing the morning show... He had an arrangement with the parent company at that time, Cumulus, that he could take off eight weeks of the year. And, and you know what I would have said? Shove it. Definitely. And get guess what? Also, none of his staff could be on the air. So I, it reminded me, because we have Noam Laden here, our news director, they would have Noam Laden come on, give the news. And then it would have Mike Gunzelman come on and just introduce the best of, which is really the worst of, and sometimes play the same interviews within the same week over and over again. John, it, it just ripped the heart out of WABC. Uh, people abandoned massive numbers. That's eight weeks. I mean, that's, huh, that's a little more than two months. Whereas he should have allowed his staff like Bernie and Sid and others to come in and substitute. There's a problem in that people don't want other people who are good to substitute for them when they can't be on the air. You've changed that dynamic. By the way, Lydia just texted me. She wanted to come in. There was a miscommunication or something. Hmm. You mean for uh, Brian Kilmeade, who's up next, who's had a substitute, and you made the right choice, is, hey, if you can't be there, uh, this is this is not that they're closing Caroline's. Nobody will be able to do open mic anymore. No amateur hour. You got to bring your best game here because this is the number one news talk station in the nation. And you say to yourself, John has been here all during the vacation week, broadcasting at night on at five o'clock the uh, roundtable discussion with John, breaking news on Monday. Nobody was able to find George Santos. Nobody was able to interview him last Monday. John reached out to him. He gave his first interview, and the guy has been talking himself into a political grave ever since. You created a monster, John. He is now like a male yenta. Nobody, you couldn't get a word out of him edgewise. John reached out, as he oftentimes does. He can get guests that nobody else can. And he came on, and he started the tsunami of coverage, because before that— said, I'm not going to say anything. I'll have a press conference at some point next week. You got him first on Monday, and then it was like a, a series of dominoes, you know, going over. Uh, the next night it was uh, Tucker Carlson with Tulsi Gabbard substituting. She eviscerated him. He did a few more interviews. And I, I attribute you. You're like Dr. Frankenstein. You created Frankenstein. He, ha he hasn't given one interview yet where he hasn't dug himself a deeper grave. And yet, come tomorrow, Mr. George Santos goes to Washington and will be sworn in into this new uh, 
House of Representatives, giving the Republicans the barest of margins. Now, also McCarthy, uh, who everyone thought would probably become the speaker, uh, the incoming speaker with this small majority. And that's up for grabs as the five Republicans remain steadfast that they're not going to vote for McCarthy. In fact, there may be a total of nine, John. And if they don't change their vote, you could conceivably have, within the realm of reason, a Hakeem Jeffries as your new Speaker of the House of Representatives, even though he represents, in this case, the minority party, the Democrats. That's how crazy it's getting there in Washington, D.C., where the Republicans can't seem to get any traction. They have the majority by the barest of minimums, but they cannot seem to agree on a Speaker of the House, McCarthy, who has already gone down to the border. He's already said, we're going to have hearings about the border. We're going to have a multitude of things that were not being done before. And yet his fellow Republicans have said, well, we're not, we're not so sure that you should be Speaker of the House. And they're trying to backdoor negotiations. You know, the, the Democrats are street fighters. They they know how to they know how to operate. I mean, hey, Curtis, me and you are street fighters. When we go out in Harlem, we go into the streets. We know how to operate. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay? You know, and the GOP has to get away from. I mean, you need a two party system. The GOP has to get away from white socks and and, and bow ties. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And when you uh, think. Uh, and maybe we can uh, clarify this later on today, because this, I don't know how you explain it, but when uh, Kathy Hochul was sworn in yesterday in Albany, starting at about 2 o'clock, it appears to me that Governor Pataki, everyone recognizes a great governor for 12 years, three terms. He got along with Democrats. He got along with Republicans. He's a well-respected man. I mean, it's hard to find any Democrats who say anything negative about George Pataki. And, John, he was not invited to be there for this historic occasion, the first swearing in of a female governor in the state of New York. And you say, how how partisan can you get? I mean, if he couldn't be there, if he was sick or he chose not to be there, that's one thing. But I understand he was just never invited. How do you not invite George Pataki? <laughs> I understand why you wouldn't invite Andrew Cuomo, uh, but why wouldn't you invite George Pataki? You invited Governor Patterson. That was the right thing to do. I understand why you wouldn't invite Governor Spitzer. He had to exit stage left. But I mean to everybody. I, John, you've been in the company of Governor Pataki for many years. How I come have... we don't have Spitzer on this for, on, on, on the radio? <laughs> well, remember, he tried briefly on CNN. It didn't work out. But have you had on uh, Elliot Spitzer in a while? Not for a while. Might be interesting. Remind me to talk. I want to get his uh, uh, vision and where where he stands right now. Not only you is, know he's busy. You know he inherited about a billion dollars, and he's in he heavily his in dad real estate. Was very heavy in real estate, and he you know it's nice to inherit a billion dollars. You know. Oh, and we that's had. A, by the way, that's the best business. <laughs> we had on his enemy, Roger Stone earlier. Remember when Roger Stone would call up and imitate a voice and act, you know, and talk about his father and such. And and, and that was a massive back and forth. That was like a blood feud. But, yeah, Elliot Spitzer has not been heard of. It's like he's been off the radar screen. 
If there's one person who can get him on the airwaves to get his overview, it would definitely be you, John. Absolutely be you. Well, look, I was very good friends with his father. When I uh, ran the the Clinton campaigns back in 95, 96, 97, I don't know, 98, his father was at my home all the time. He was there in uh, full support of Bill Clinton. And we blame you for Congressman Gerald Nadler being the the figure that he is in the House. Because if I remember correctly, John, you were his campaign manager. I was his campaign manager for borough president in 1984. Not his campaign manager, his finance manager, too. Scott Stringer was the actual campaign manager. So we were a team. What an odd couple, you and Scott Stringer. Me, Scott Stringer. Oh, by the way. And we lost. Look at this. And David Dinkins, years later, says to me in front of Jerry Nadler, why did you Why did you uh, run his campaign, not mine? I this, said, he asked. This is fascinating because Dick Morris is on. He's on every Sunday from uh, 12 to 1. Dick Morris went to Stuyvesant High School with Jerry Nadler. Jerry was from East Flatbush, came from a, a socialist family. He acknowledges, I came from a socialist family. Dick Morris lived on the Upper West Side. They got along. They were friends. Gerald Nadler decided, I'm running to become school uh, school government president. His campaign manager was Dick Morris. He became president of Stuyvesant High School, the, the, the uh, I guess, the student body. So let me, and Dick Morris was the uh, campaign so, manager. Let me, let so me, they, they, the two started early. So Dick Morris was his campaign manager. You were his um, CFO, right, so to speak, of his campaign. I was his his campaign finance chair. Scott Stringer, his campaign manager, who if anything happens to Gerald Nadler, if he ever retires uh, or he can no longer function, you know who's going to run for that seat, who's trying to rehabilitate himself uh, as we speak. Your your very dear friend, Scott Stringer, he's suing that woman who claimed that uh, he was perving on her. That knocked him right out of the mayoral race. But you know doggone well he made his bones in that uh, that Jerry Nadler congressional district. He goes back, way back to the battles when uh, Bella Abzug was rough and tough, dropping the F-bomb and taking on all challenges. John, I never knew. I never knew you were on that side of the aisle. Wow. <laughs> you made your bones in politics with Gerald Nadler and Scott Stringer. That's another guy you might want to get on, Scott Stringer, because you know he's he's making a political comeback. There's no doubt about that. He hopes. Well, to... I think he's suing. I saw an article someplace. He's suing the gals that made believe that he sexually harassed them. Yeah, it was now, a, it, we went through a period of time that women were supposed to be, whether they're right or wrong, they're always right. Yeah, the Me Too Doesn't movement. The, the Me, Me Too, Too movement. movement. Well. Scott Stringer is suing back, and uh, don't 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 forget what um, Elon Musk did. I'm going to act like Lydia now. Somebody accused him of of of, of uh, sexually harassing her. He said to the girl, "Well, describe my penis." <laughs> well, she went away. Well. That happened once before, as you know, with your very dear friend Bill Clinton when uh, Paula Jones was able to uh, describe anatomically how different Bill Clinton's three-piece set was than from a normal guy because it has a certain angle to the dangle. And that's when he had to throw in the towel and go no mas, no mas. 
And remember, John, it was Hillary who told Bill, don't settle with that trailer trash, Paula Jones. If he had settled with her, had reached an agreement, we would never have learned about the blue stained dress, Monica Lewinsky, how much different well, it would have been. My opinion, you know my opinion. Yes. Bill Clinton was one hell of a president, and um, he was a great president, my opinion. There's there's no doubt he left us with a balanced budget and deficit. When's the last time we could say that? Hey, him and Newt Gingrich did a great job. Wait, wait. They reduced the the budget, not the budget, the... the, uh, the deficit. deficit. Yes. Ready? It was five and a half trillion dollars. They reduced it down to five. Yep. Everybody since then to the moon, Alice. <laughs> Every president since. Every president raised it ten more. But that's a sore point that you mentioned Bill Clinton because I was doing morning radio at that time with Ron Kuby at the old WABC. You were attacking Margo too. And there was full spread pictures. You were you were cut out of the picture. You were in the picture, but uh, the paparazzi just had your wife, Margot, who I didn't know at that time, and Bill Clinton, who was oogling her. There's no other way of describing it. I mean, he was oogling your wife at the time. And I made such a fuss about it, I went on for about an hour. And then Mark Simone, who was at WABC at the time, said... Is he working today? Mark Simone? Probably not. Yeah, you know, the competition, they, they mail it in. But anyway, Mark Simone did a shirach. He, he did an intervention as a peacetime consigliere, and he said, Curtis, you've got to meet Margot Katsimatidis and apologize. You do not want this woman to be against you. There's, an, there's not a person you want against you in your life. And I said, okay. And it just so happens I was uh, getting an award from an Italian foundation at the old Waldorf Astoria. First time I met your wife, and I got to tell you, she was like ready to explode. And I did more mea copas, more mea copas, more maxima copas than I've ever done in my life. I'm sorry, Margo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. To this day, she keeps reminding me of that, John. To this day. <laughs> oh, that president's eyes would always wander, Bill Clinton. Anyway, remember when he was at the, uh, the wake for Aretha Franklin in Detroit? The wake for Aretha Franklin, everyone of great renown in the black community was there on the stage, including what some people refer to as America's first black president, Bill Clinton, beloved in the African-American community. Uh, Al Gore foolishly did not use him to get out the vote along the Mississippi River when he was running for president against uh, Bush 43, or Al Gore would have become president of the United States and would have garnered more of the black vote. But I, I will never forget, he's on the stage and who's sitting next to him at the wake for Aretha Franklin? It's Louis Farrakhan. And when he was asked, did, Mr. President, didn't you realize you were sitting next to Louis Farrakhan? And John, the reason that he didn't know, truly did not know he was sitting next to Aretha Franklin, he was staring at Ariana Grande, this young singer who is well-proportioned. He couldn't take his eyes off of her. Couldn't take her eyes off him. Never realized he was sitting right next to Louis Farrakhan. Oh, I am telling you, John, that's the kind of guy who should have had Salt Peter in his Cheerios in the morning. Salt Peter was used in the military and used in prisons to um, 
let's just say, rob men of their libido desire, which sometimes propels a man 24-7-365. If only Bill Clinton had had uh, Saul Peter in his Big Macs. Remember when he would go out jogging in the morning around the White House to, to sort of wear off the Big Mac he would have? Boy, how history would have been so different. And boy, it, it, your wife has forgiven me. I, I hope so, John. I hope. Um, oh yeah, she loves you. I mean, uh, you know. Well, we're back on track. Hopefully by tomorrow, everybody that you love to listen to in their permanent positions will be here. Brian, kill me up next. Then uh, I'll and, be back. And he is a great host too. Yes, yes, he is. And I'll be back twelve fifteen to one. And then it's um, it's actually substituting for. Uh, Greg Kelly from 1 to 3 will be Dominic Carter. Yeah. Been doing a great job. He's been doing three different shifts. And then Rudy Giuliani from Mar-a-Lago. Now, he might have former President Donald Trump today. And then uh, Anthony Weiner who's doing a great job substituting for Bo Snurdly. Hey, you got quite a bench here at WABC. Well, how about the 5 o'clock? I'm there. Well, that's a given. And we know you're going to have a bunch of newsmakers that will light it up, that will go viral. That's always to be anticipated with John Katsimatidis and his guests at 5. Not only the people who call in, but the people who sit in the studio. And hopefully we'll find out from Governor Pataki, John, why he was not invited to the inauguration, the historic inauguration of our first ever female governor yesterday in Albany, Kathy Hochul. Continue to listen here at WABC. Know that Sid Rosenberg and uh, his friends will be here tomorrow as we get back on track getting out of the holiday season. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com.